Oh, we're turning our videos off. All right, okay. Bing. I might leave mine on. Right. Just to oh, be annoying. For fuck's sake. Right, I'll put mine back on too. Right. No, I'm going to turn oh, mine off. Just... Stop fucking around. <laughs> right, do I need to hit stop? Because I've got five, I've got right. six minutes of audio recorded here already. Do I need to stop it and start again? Okay, hi everybody, welcome to Film Utopia, I'm Stephen and with me is Sean Kennedy. Hello, and I really am with you because we can see each other on video for the first time ever. Yes, we can, who we can't see on video, but we can now because he just turned it on, is Ben Pegley. Hello, Ben. <laughs> hello, 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 hello. Hey guys, hello. so welcome to our February edition of the show, and uh, we thought we'd go back to doing a list so we're going to do, uh, it's, not, it's not a top 10, but we're going to do, uh, do a list of 10 movies that we all recommend pre-1980, because we're not likely to talk about the, the earlier decades and that much depth going forward. So uh, we thought uh, we'd uh, uh, talk about some films uh, from the, the previous decades that we recommend. Now, all 60 before, of them. Exactly. Now, that's obviously a big uh, time Get, uh, play, uh, you know, placement to, to look into. So what I did for myself, I didn't ask you guys to do this specifically, but for me specifically, um, I picked 10 films from the year, from the fifties to the seventies. Um, I didn't want to go any further back than that. Cause I didn't want to get too pretentious and like, Oh, you know, watch this, uh, 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 black and white si- <laughs> silent film that I love starring Louise Brooks, you know, uh, <laughs> um, but at the same time, I you also like it, wanted... you like it. Yeah, exactly. But at the same time, I, I also wanted to avoid things that we might talk about in the future. Like, for example, my list has no Hitchcock on there because mm-hmm. I'm definitely going to talk about Hitchcock at some point in the future, either with you guys or as a YouTube special by myself. Um, I, I basically wanted to avoid anything that may come up in a future podcast, either on a director or on a genre um, and so on. Yeah. So that, that, that was the sort of rule that I put upon myself uh, doing this. You guys, I don't know what you decided to do. Yeah, and no, I, also I did, did. Yeah, yeah. I did and something I did, fairly similar. Sorry to cut you off. I did something f- right. fairly similar where, you know, if you sort of Google like the greatest mm. films ever made and it, it, yeah. it's, it's just full of all the classics from the 60s and the 70s and even earlier, I basically try to avoid all of that. So, you know, yeah. there's not going to be yeah. any Wizard of Oz or, you know, anything like that. Yeah. Showing oh, up. And, and there'll be no fucking Godfathers, you know, yes, exactly. at me or yeah. anything like that. I try to avoid the the obvious shit. It's basically recommendations of films that don't necessarily get talked about that much. Um, but yeah, so that's cool. I'm glad uh, you're on board with her. Let's see what Ben Definitely. brings to offer. So I think we're... Uh, my list is The Godfather, The Wizard of Oz, uh, Jaws, and... Uh, Some like it hot. Yeah. Definitely did not um, uh, put anything on my list that we've talked about um, before on, on any other show. So so again, no aliens, no Rockies, um, anything like that. So I think what we'll do is we'll follow the format that we do with our top 10s where we go from 10 to 1. Now, this isn't in any sort of... I mean, have you guys, your lists, are they in any order at all? Have you got them in... Uh, uh, the order they came out or anything like that or is it all just random no, no it's all random it's so I'm the yeah, only yeah. one that fucking listed since, mine from 50 to the 70s right well okay. since it's you're um, the only one who would Steve. yeah you're the only one who would yeah. <laughs> since it's since it's just like loose random recommendations I thought it's actually better to kind of mash it up a little bit and mix it up okay well in that case I will try to pick from my list not from top to bottom or bottom to top but you know randomly then 
<laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah. but we'll do, but we'll do one each, is what I'm saying. But it's not like ten, nine, eight. It's just basically, you know, you, uh, uh, you know, whoever's turn next. Um, and who would like to go first? We can jump right into it. Well, well, I think no, I, I think I'll... Benjamin should go first. Yes. Oh. Yeah, right. Ben rarely goes first, so I think Ben should go first. <laughs> All right. Okay. Well, so I was trying to think on the whole idea of. Um, you know, films that avoided the <clears throat> the jaws and the kind of you know all the like what you said. So, and, and I was trying to think of things that were sort of meaningful um, or made an impression on me as a kid. And the first thing, well, not the first thing I thought of, but one film I thought of was a film called The Swimmer, mm. which was a Burt oh! Lancaster film, nineteen sixty-eight. Fucking watched that two weeks ago. Well, there you are. Um, nice and, uh, choice. So, <laughs> yeah, so that is my first choice. Um, it's a very strange sort of um, surreal drama about a guy who uh, just appears out of nowhere in a bathing suit. This is Burt Lancaster, and he has this idea to swim home across a sort of uh, uh, wealthy s- suburb that he lives in uh, using all the people's swimming pools. And he knows everybody and he sort of crashes pool. But everyone's having pool parties and he's crashing each one. Um, and and uh, it's it's very odd in that his, his we don't really know where he's come from or why he's there, but he seems to have a, 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 a quite a case of memory loss. And there's the in his interactions with, with people that he meets, that he knows, his sort of suburban sort of, you know, socialites that he meets. Um get progressively weirder as he gets nearer to his home and he, and he gets more distressed and, and, and things sort of get stranger and stranger until he finally gets to his home. Uh, and yeah, it, it was a film I saw when I was a kid and, uh, it always stayed with me. So I thought, oh, that's, that's my first pick and, uh, definitely worth a watch. It's very sounds, of its time. Um, sounds very novel. Is it based on a book? It is based on a book. I think. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. And, um, it's it, yeah, it's super of its time, and it's kind of um, you know, uh, it sort of reminds me of um, a little bit of of the sort of um, some of the kind of Rock Hudson um, mm. movies, and 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 even some stuff that came later in in the seventies, like Ten and things like that. That that kind of this sort of weird upper middle class. American existence, this idyllic thing where everyone's just drinking and having <laughs> pool parties and, 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 you know, and he has this kind of very out man out of time, uh, thing. And, and, and you never really find out what the deal is in terms of why, why he doesn't, he, why he remembers things differently to everyone else. And, or, yeah. or he hasn't, you know, he's talking about his kids being at home playing tennis and they're clearly not. And, uh, you know, and it's, when he finally gets there, he sees what's what's happened. Yeah, and, it's, it's it's a total fucking mental breakdown. Um, yeah, but again, yeah. like you say, you're never told explicitly or shown. Sorry, explicitly what's happened. You got to put it together in your yeah. own head. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it is a fantastic film. Um, I th- this was passed on to me from a work colleague. Um, around about sort of two thousand and eight, two thousand and nine time. That's when I first saw it. Mm. And uh, and I know one of the uh, disputers in America, whether it was Criterion or something, did a nice uh, uh, Blu-ray version of it, which is on my shopping list on Amazon. If anyone wants to go buy it for there me, um, 
but then I but then I grabbed it online literally in the last month and watched it two weeks ago because I I was like, oh, I need to watch that again. So nice, and I'm actually there you are. surprised I didn't put it on my list. Um, mm. Now that you now, now that I think about it, but um, but yeah, nice one. Um, do you want me to go second, Sean? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I will start at the top of my list, but then I'll go higgledy. I'll go to the top of my list and the bottom, and then go bing, 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 bing. Work my way inwards. So uh, my first mention is a black and white movie from 1950 called Orphe, which is uh, Orpheus. It's a French movie directed by Jean Co- uh, Jean Cocteau um, uh, about the Orpheus myth, and um, this is basically you know the 50s equivalent to David Lynch. Um, it's uh, it, uh, but also uh, um, visually outstanding in terms of filmmaking. They, they there's some lovely, lovely imagery in this film. Um, I don't want to go prattle on too long about this one, but it's a film that I um, I discovered quite late. I think in my uh, late twenties when I first saw it, I, and I I saw an image. I saw a couple of still shots from the film and thought, hmm. That's interesting. I'll, I'll go look that up. And I was uh, studying uh, at college um, uh, Orpheus as well. So I had an interest in the subject matter. So uh, I looked it up and uh, fa- uh, uh, found it. And uh, yeah, yeah, I, I fell in love with it. But it's one of these ones that I, it, because it's, uh, you know, it, it's quite an old film, it, get, it only gets put on once in a while. And I did have it on DVD um, about a decade ago. In fact, my wife bought it for me on, on that DVD, which was released by uh, the BFI, I believe, uh, on our first Christmas together. Um, and, uh, and what the fuck happened to that disc, I don't know, because I can't imagine that I would have thrown it away. But it's definitely one that I want to upgrade at some point. There is, um, uh, th- th- there's great filmmaking techniques going on. And, uh, by today's standards, you might think, oh, that's kind of cheesy. But at the same time, you go, it's actually kind of genius, the way that they use rear projection. Um, for example, someone standing in front of uh, something and then the other actor is actually part of the rear projection. You know, they filmed him by himself doing something and then put this other guy in front of the rear projection so that Mm. it looks otherworldly because of the way that he's moving. uh, And this is uh, to do with scenes when they go to the underworld, when uh, um, he has to go and and, and get Eurydice, his wife, who's been stolen away. Um, there's some lovely uh, techniques going on there. And black and white is something that always looks great in high definition these days. Uh, maybe not the rear projection stuff, because, you know, rear projection tends to look kind of shit and blurry. Um, but this is definitely one that I think I'd love to see in HD, uh, should they do a uh, version of it. Um, but if you like a weird narrative with a weird story and you don't mind uh, subtitles, uh, check out Orphe or Orpheus. I thought it sounded familiar to me, so I had to quickly look it up. And it does, because um, Philip Glass did an adaptation uh, as a stage opera in the early 90s. Ah. And he was a, Glass was a, a subject of uh, study when I was at university a lot. Mm-hmm. So that's, I think that's probably where I've heard of it from. But um, but I don't know if I've ever seen it. I love the fact that you brought up the rear projection thing because I think <laughs> through as we go through our lists, there's going to be a lot of sort of heartwarming special effects and optical effects. And sort of <laughs> I, I, I noticed a lot when I was compiling my list. It's like, oh, that looks so good. You know, even though like it's kind of trite by today's standards and you can you can tell how yeah, they did yeah. things. But yeah, 
But well, yeah, now that you say that, uh, I think there's only other one more effects sort of heavy movie on my list. So yeah, we'll see. So what's your first uh, recommendation? Well, what shall I pick out of my uh, out of my list? <laughs> I'm I'm gonna go I'm gonna go back to 1950, a black and white film directed by Ilya Kazan called Panic in the Streets, which is about a um, it's basically about a, a military um, medic who now works for the U.S. Health Department, um, and on a, on the clock, I think he's got twenty four hours to find a plague carrier, a pneumonic plague carrier, in um, in in the city uh, before an outbreak takes uh, takes place. And um, uh, Kazan filmed when he went on to do. Uh, uh, Brando's breakout film. Um, On the waterfront? No, Streetcar. A streetcar uh, named Desire. Um, So it was all shot in New Orleans on location. And the thing that got me about it the first time I saw it is the fact that the um, it's the performances. So I don't know about you guys, but when I watch sort of early films, you, you can tell that the actors are fully stage actors. They're theatre actors that have gone to film and there's still a very sort of stagey presence about them. And I don't think we see that so much anymore because actors have sort of come up through TV or film even. And there's kind of a different screen presence. But um, yeah, but uh, Jack Palance, who plays the antagonist Blackie and the, um, and the main protagonist is uh, Commander Clint Reed. Um, I think it's Richard, Richard, I've got a note here. Yeah, Richard Widmark. They're just, they're just exceptional. And it's the earliest film I can think of where they, 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 they are film actors on the screen. And I know that sounds ridiculous because, of course, you know, it's, a, it's the 1950s and, you know, there are other examples of that in better known films. But, yeah. um, but no, they're, ju- they're just, they're just terrific. Um, it's, uh, it's got like it's got that brilliant kind of build where there's, you know, you really feel the the urgency um, that the uh, that the um, commander has to find this this plague carrier in the city, and the the carrier Blackie, he's a like a low level street level gangster, and so he's really in with the poor of the area, and he doesn't obviously know that he's carrying the the, the plague, and the uh, the city. Blackie. Yeah, he's called Blackie. Yeah, the city officials, like the mayor's office, don't believe the uh, the military uh, medic that there's this pneumonic plague potential outbreak. Um, and so there's some great scenes where he's sort of passionately trying to convince them and shouting at the uh, shouting at them, and he's like, you know, he's saying, you know, oh, we can't afford to put that much um, resources into it. And it's like you'll be dead by next week, and you got all this this brilliant kind of stuff. No, it's very good. And then you've got a, a chase scene at the end on foot, and it's it's sort of thrilling because you've had to wait the runtime of the film to get this kind of one action sequence. Modern mm. filmmakers should take note of that. Um, yeah, oh, that very sounds, good. That sounds very Eli Roth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nice, man. Mm. Um, nice, man. Hey, wait, worth noting, because I actually looked it up, uh, Alia Kazan... Uh, did also do on the waterfront, but it was three years after a streetcar named Desire. Yeah. yeah. yeah right. um, now, uh, a quick uh, sidebar question to you guys: Like uh, that director, I've not seen any of his films. I've not seen on the waterfront or a streetcar named Desire. Do you guys 
are, are there names out there you're like, oh yeah, I've heard that director's name time and time again, and yet I've never seen any of their films. But not because you have no interest. You know, like me and Woody Allen. <laughs> oh yeah, no, there'd definitely be an example of that. Yeah, I'm sure there is. Yeah, but um, yeah, I can't think of one. I'm pretty sure oh, I'll, have, I'll have caught Streetcar on TV when I was a kid, but yeah. um, not that I remember it enough now. I mean, I know like Marlon Brando, he's sort of spaffed over endlessly on YouTube videos and stuff like that, mm. but to be honest with you. But it's like Akira mm. Kurosawa. I'm like, I don't even know if I've seen any of his stuff, you know? Um, really? Yeah, I don't think so. Mm. Yeah. yeah, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Um, mm. I, I, conversely, I had the opposite um uh, situation happened recently uh, with them um, looking at um, Nick Rogue's uh, filmography and thinking, "Fucking hell, I've seen all his movies." <laughs> 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 I, th- I, I think I think literally there was maybe one or two that that I ha- wasn't aware of. And I was like, "This is uh, this is Flash Gordon guy, right?" Nick Rogue, yeah. So this is Walkabout and uh, and all that. You know, it, it, um, did you do Flash Gordon? I'm not sure about Flash Gordon. Am I the wrong guy? I need to look this up. Because I know... Did he do the Michael Caine uh, fucking Hitman movie? Oh, I'm thinking of Mike Hodges. God damn it. Mike Hodges. Oh, yeah. Sorry, sorry, everyone. I'll I'll go back to my corner. Ben, what's your next movie? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so, all right. So, I mean, I I kind of, you know, I I thought to myself, I'm not going to avoid genre movies or, uh, you know, the stuff that I... I certainly uh, haven't, don't worry. uh, Yeah, so, you know... uh, (laughs) <laughs> but I, I'm going to avoid it just for this one, and then I'll probably just get lost in uh, all the genre stuff. But so th- my next choice is another film that I saw as a kid and several times, and always um, was intrigued by. And uh, and this is a Ingrid Bergman movie from 1958 called The Inn of the Sixth Happiness. Either of you guys seen that? I've never heard of it. Doesn't ring a bell. I've heard of so, <clears throat> Yeah. So. Yep. It's 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 a um, it's Ingrid Bergman and Kurt Jurgens, Robert Donat, and um, you know it, it it's it's one of those movies that's probably quite um, uh, criticised these days for sort of casting white people as Chinese and all that sort of thing. Like Kurt Jurgens is you know he's he's German and he's supposed to be this half Dutch half Chinese uh, guy. But anyway, that, so it, it's based on a true story, but it's about a. Uh, a young English woman who uh, goes to China right on the eve of the uh, Sino-Japanese uh, war in th- 1937 and to be a missionary. And she sort of ends up um, sort of saving a bunch of uh, uh, kids from the Japanese invasion. It's, it's, you know, it's, it, it sounds really depressing, but it isn't. It's, it's, um, it's quite a, a lovely movie in a way, uh, all shot in North Wales, so they, <laughs> so, you know, but it's one of those movies Man, that, that looks um, fucking great. Like Willow, well, it, Willow was all shot in North Wales as well. Yeah, <laughs> what, yeah really? So, um, yeah. I, I, you know, it Fuck never occurred off. to me watching it when I was a kid that, I, that, of course, that they weren't in somewhere in Tibet or something, you know. But um, <laughs> you know, but yeah, it was all shot in Snowdonia, and all the Chinese people were all from sort of Liverpool, which was a big Chinese community <laughs> in Liverpool, and. Um, 
but um yeah so she ends up um running this in this kind of like almost like a sort of pauper's um you know like a sanctuary type place for you know, and 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 ostensibly trying to teach them christianity and all the missionary stuff but of course it's all set in this this um a backdrop of the the, the second sino japanese war and uh, she then has to sort of you know uh, save the uh, the kids and stuff and it's it's just one of those movies that um you know kind of it's the sort of thing that they'd play during the day, but it's actually quite, it can be, there's a few scenes in it, which were quite distressing for a, for a kid. Cause it's, it's war, you know, and it's not really, um, but anyway, that's my pick. It was, it's a movie that, um, uh, has been part of my life since, uh, I was a kid and, uh, it's definitely worth a watch. Um, Nice. Although it is quite long. I, uh, I, I, oh. I didn't realize it was two and a half hours. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, there you are. Uh, well, I will jump to the bottom of my uh, list uh, to 1975. Uh, so my list is compiled between 50 and 75 before I was born. And uh, I've actually got two from some 1975 on here. But uh, my second pick will then therefore be... Uh, Mr. Sean Connery and Mr. Michael Caine in The Man ah, Who Would bastard. Be King. <laughs> I picked that one. <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, you might, you well, might as soon as you said 1975, before. I was thinking, it's not going to be Jaws, it's going to be Man Who Would Be King. Yeah, yeah. I've got another one in, 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 in the same year. But, uh, but hey, I, I did say, shall I do it at random? Or if I did it in order, it would be the last one that I mentioned. It's, it's, it's at the bottom of my list. The Man Who Would Be King, uh, directed by John Huston, Rudyard Kipling, um, uh, and uh, th- there was actually um, uh, hints on my Facebook recently, Ben, because I posted pictures of Christopher Plummer playing U- Rudyard Kipling in this film and, mm-hmm. and saying to people, do you know who this actor is? Um, and a lot of people didn't because he, he, he's all but, uh, yeah, he, he, looks, he looks rather different. But uh, yeah, um, this is one that I, uh, I, I think in my college days I discovered it. Um, it's like, yeah, I like a bit of Connery. I like a bit of Kane. And I was, you know, going back and going through the old back catalogue of stuff I hadn't seen. Um, I'm like, fuck you, Zardos. I'm not watching that shit again. Um, although I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm, I'm so up for watching that again anytime soon. Um, and then, you know, Michael Kane, all these shit in the sixties, you know, sleuth and, um, uh, the Italian job, Alfie, uh, you know, blah, 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 blah. Um, and then I hit upon this. It's like, yeah, this is the one of two films that these guys are in together. And I almost put the other film that they're both in, which is a Attenborough movie, A Bridge Too Far, which is, uh, why the mm. fuck didn't I put that on this list? Why the fuck didn't I, maybe I'm thinking about, maybe when we do World War II, I'll put it in there. Anyway, so um, yeah, this is great. Um, this is uh, a, you know epic story, you know, two uh, gentlemen, con men, soldiers. Uh, <laughs> um, I'm not going to go into too much detail because apparently you, I think Ben's going to talk about it later on. So I, I want to make sure that I don't completely steal the thunder of it. But it is a gorgeous looking movie. I really have a lot of time for uh, John Huston as a director. I think he's uh, fantastic. I think it looks great. Um, but, uh, oh God, what else do I say without spoiling anything? Uh, yeah, if you like a bit of adventure, um, if you like a bit of uh, conquest, uh, if you like a bit of hypocrisy, um, and you like a little bit of uh, not so much of a happy ending, then yeah, check out The Man Who Would Be King. <laughs> Up the Kyber <laughs> Pass. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh god damn it now now i need to do a, a 10 plus one carry on movies that i like <laughs> oh, for youtube god sake, yeah I, 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 yeah i definitely have one carry on movie uh, as one of my uh honorable mentions oh wow yeah cool <laughs> yeah anyway sean right I'm um, too much time I'm I'm gonna I'm just gonna fucking go full on genre film here, and I can't help it because I'm just a sucker for um, sort of fifties uh, and sixties horror and science fiction. And sweet, God, what a collection to pick from! Um, and obviously, it's like, oh no, I'm not going to pick that because I reckon Stephen's going to want to cover that in in this chunk that we'll do at some point. Um, but I'm gonna go with 1953 House of Wax. Directed by Andre de Toth, obviously, obviously starring Vincent Price, who is just on form in this film, mincing around his wax museum, <laughs> speaking poetically <Mincent> and phrasing. <laughs> Mincent, Mincent Price. Price. <laughs> it's just, it's just. I mean, what can you say? Um, I did a little bit of um, research just for like little tidbits of um, info that I could. Bring to the podcast, and I actually I didn't know that it was apparently the first 3D film with stereo sound, and I thought fucking mm. hell, stereo sound in 1953 in the in the cinemas, obviously, because um, wow. yeah. when it was um, if it was ever broadcast on TV, it would have been monoed, but um, yeah, yeah, it's um, it's just a it's just a terrific film. It's creepy as fuck. The the reveal of his actual face under his wax wax mask from surviving the fire at the beginning, um, I think still holds up. And it was shocking as fuck when I saw that at about twelve years old. <laughs> and it, when, <laughs> when Ben was talking about the last the last film he was talking about, and he mentioned something about the, all these films being on the TV on the on the BBC BBC Two in the afternoon. And it's like it's like yeah. they didn't give a shit, did they? It's like yeah. you know this film would have been terrifying if you were a kid in the fifties. But no, yeah. fuck it, we'll put it on at two o'clock in the afternoon. And um, and yeah, well, a, 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 a criminal gets beheaded in. <laughs> In of the six happiness, you don't. I mean, you don't see what? anything, but it's pretty severe. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. You can you can not show anything, and it's it's absolutely bloody terrifying. Yeah, mm. but um, but yeah, it's uh, and, and I particularly like obviously like it is. Oh God, it a lot of these films that I'm going to be talking about, like you know, I've got some very funny things to say about it, which makes it sound like I, I don't like them. But it's almost like I have a newfound love of films like House of Wax because of the kitschness of them. As time's gone on, so like I love the fact that he's um, when Vincent Price's character Jared, when he um, survives the fire and then obviously rebuilds his workshop and starts fucking you know killing actual people to cast their faces and everything, he has his assistants because his hands don't work and all the rest of it. And like I just love the fact that his main assistant and accomplice to the murders is like a, a deaf mute who is genuinely called Igor. And played by a guy who looks like he should be in the Adams family. I mean, it just yeah, it doesn't get any better. I could I can watch it endlessly. I've not seen the 2005 remake. I'm not interested in the slightest. I have. Oh I've, dear. I've not seen either version, mate. I, I, I've seen the remake as well. Yeah. I mean, it's it's not, it's not good. Paris it's, Hilton, it's, right? Oh god! I mean, that's enough to put you off straight away. I didn't even know she was in it. But it's 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 a very tough thing to say about Vincent Price, um, given how many fucking films he's in, but genuinely, you know, if somebody mentions Vincent Price, this will be the film that pops into my mind and it'll be the one that I sort of recommend 
uh, above all others. But whether or not that's because I haven't seen all of them or enough of them, I don't know. Um, yeah. Uh, well, there's a Vincent Price film on my list. Well, and it's the one I think of every time I think. Is he mincing? Is he mincing around in that one as well? Of course he is. <laughs> he, he, he Has well he be. ever done a film with with, with uh, David Niven? So then you have Mincent Price and David Niven. <laughs> Sorry, Ben, you're up. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, shall I? I mean, Man Who Would Be King was on my list as well, so I might as well. Yeah, fuck it. Get out of the way. <laughs> Get it out of the way. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, I picked that as well. Seventy five. Um, what a great film. Uh, this was one of the, the first films, me. I think. Yeah, this is one of the first films, I, I think, where which made me aware of Sean Connery as anything other than James Bond, you know? Um, yeah. Uh, luckily, I saw this before I saw Zardoz. Wait, he's done other films? <laughs> really? Wow. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so, so, <laughs> so th- it was this, Zardoz, and, uh, you know, out, and then Outland a little bit later. Um, but... My men are shit. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, it's it's this is so yeah. The, I mean, it's it's one of those stories. It's it, they're they're just up to mischief, aren't they? The two of them. They're just out to make a buck. Yeah, you know, uh, ex-soldiers, <laughs> and they're trying to do that in uh, you know the Kyber Pass, and um, and yeah, he oh, he basically Kyber survives an arrow hit, doesn't he? And they think and they think he's divine. And he and he just and and the the joy of it of the performances is, is is to do with his sort of descent into his own kind of delusion that he is the you know yeah uh, something special and then when they finally rumble him and and they yeah he's singing the you know uh, that what's the song that he sings on the uh, on the bridge when they they they're gonna kill him aren't they and, I um, know I'm trying to think what the hell it is and all I've got in my head oh, is oh Danny boy <laughs> no it's not it's um it's oh I can't remember but yeah he and he's just full chest singing it it's great yeah. um yeah no it's a terrific terrific film great um, stunt as well that moment yeah and uh, you know and it's just it's it's kind of you know uh, uh, peak connery and kane and you know yeah. i mean you know it's it's good stuff <laughs> yeah. so yeah awesome yeah. But is, his, will, um, uh, is his chesty singing as good as uh, reese davis is in um in, in indiana jones that's the that's the the yardstick oh, <laughs> or Sulla. yeah, yeah. Uh, um yeah i think it's on a par it's on a that. bar right yeah. but for the record he definitely was not singing the hms pinafore on that bridge no. No. <laughs> as Sulla was <laughs> right yeah. mm. okay i am gonna go like this and pick oh okay so 1964, here's one for Sean, actually, which uh, I do actually, I might cheat and talk about this another day with Sean if we talk about uh, giallo horror. Um, and the reason why this one is on this list and not on my my other uh, giallo list is because a lot of giallo that I love came out in the 70s. This is 60s. This is Mario Bava's Blood and Black Lace. Oh, I love me a good fucking whodunit, even when it makes no fucking sense. Um, and I love, um, you know, tomato ketchup or, or that really nasty, just red, red paint 
that you see is blood in cinema. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sergio Leone movies, you know. Yeah. Um, this one's full of that. But this is a this is actually quite a fucking brutal film, Blood and Black Lace. Um, it's uh, yeah, it's not going to win any awards for, uh, for for you know for acting or, or dubbing <laughs> for that matter. Um, but it looks fucking gorgeous. This is where you get the whole... Because a lot of people say, oh, Dario Argento, you know, Suspiria with the red lights and the blue lights, you know, the whole precursor to uh, Guillermo del Toro. It starts here in this film. Um, in the opening credits, just watch the opening credits to Blood and Black Lace on YouTube and you'll be like, yeah, fucking that, that del Toro watched that and got it fucking stiff. And then, you know, decided to become a director, right? <laughs> um, but, uh, but, but the murder scenes in this are actually pretty damn brutal, um, mm. you know, for, for what it is. You know, this is 1964, for fuck's sake. And, and it holds up, but it holds up because it has a lot of 60s style and stylishness about it. The way people dress, the haircuts they have. Um, it all it, it all helps it with you know it's like watching an Austin Powers movie but actually done in the fucking era that he's aping you know oh, yeah no, not spoofy yeah it, it's and weird, not spoofing actually. it I've mm. not heard of it actually weirdly um, but wow. like you Italian horror um, yeah I'm I'm like you it's it's I always immediately think of seventies films yeah um, and what you said about the the sixties sort of design production design and and design of the, the sets and the costumes and everything. That's unfortunately one of the things that's the weakest thing about seventies or seventies yeah. films in 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 general because that look just doesn't fucking age very well, does it? <laughs> you yeah, know, whereas yeah. the sixties look and, is and great. And as much as I want to talk about um, uh, Dario Argento one day, if he's the father of uh, Giallo, then Mario Bava is the grandfather or the mm. godfather. It might be even better. You can um, see the and trajectory. His son, yeah. And his son Lamberto Bava. Did two of my favorite uh, horror schlock movies in the eighties, Demons and Demons Two. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, Demons, fucking hell. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll, we'll, we'll hit that horror thing one day. Yeah, we'll get there. Anyway, over to you, Sean. Right. Well, I'm going to go to forwards to 1972 this time, and I'm going to talk about a Gary Sherman directed film starring Donald Pleasance called Deathline. But uh, it actually had a different title, I think, in the US, which I should have made a note of, and I've forgotten. But it's a bit like Ben and Star Wars A New Hope. It's it's not whatever the Americans fucking called it. It's Deathline. Um, <laughs> it's, a, it's a low budget. Um, <laughs> it's, yeah. it's a low budget. Um, it's a, I'm, I'm, I'm hesitating to call it a horror when really it is. But, you know, it, it, it's kind of like... Um, you know, underselling it to ju- just call it a straight up horror, but it kind of is. It's raw meat, I think it was. Raw called. meat, yeah, that's raw right. meat. Fucking <laughs> hell. You see, the, the, that's the problem I've got with that is yes, the antagonist is basically like a cannibalistic hermit in the in the London underground. Is um, this a is this creep? Is this what creep remade? Uh if it is, I wouldn't know. I don't think it is actually. No, okay. I do know the film you mean, and I don't think it is. I With think the it's German got, girl in the tube yeah. being chased by the cannibal. I think it's just got <laughs> the same plot, basically. I think it's just a oh, recycled okay. plot idea. But yeah, so the yeah. setup to Deathline is that the in in the Victorian times, the the workers, the working class sort of uh, builders who built the tunnels, um, a, a sort of small group of them stayed behind in the tunnels, 
and sort of formed a community and they became kind of um yeah like like a like scary hermits basically like scary tramps and um and by the time the film set which is is modern day for the early 70s there's only a, a couple left, a man and a woman, and the the pregnant female dies in in um, in the arms of the the male, and he sort of goes mad and kills a few people on the on the tube, and then he sort of he's seeking a a new female, who um, is um, is obviously the the female protagonist of the film, and my fucking brain's gone shit because I wrote her name Sharon Gurney. That's right, who. Benjamin, mm. yes, um, and she's yep. she's sort of uh, going out with this American chap who Donald Pleasance uh, sort of suspects is uh, not telling the truth when they go to the police about discovering you know some horrors on the tube. Pleasance is fucking hilarious. He's sort of a Cockney, jovial sort of police inspector. Um, but I'm just there's so many outstanding scenes with him. Like uh, the f- the first time the the boyfriend is interviewed by him, he's a uh, American student um, at some university in London, and he's sort of mocking his you know politically liberal student kind of identity. He's like, "Get your hair cut," and it's just fucking hilarious. Absolutely love it. Um, yeah, it's also kind of bizarrely really fucking disturbing because of the implied subject matter. The uh, the the sort of hermit cannibal is really nasty and terrifying, and he's all he, the only thing he ever says is like "mind the doors, mind the doors," because it's the only thing he's kind of picked up from living in the underground. <laughs> oh wow! Did the and, Game of Thrones um, guys pick that up and all? I reckon so. <laughs> hold the door. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, hold the door, hold door, and um, and obviously <laughs> at the end he sort of uh, yeah he tries to have his way. By forcing himself on um, on old Sharon Gurney. Oh, not Christopher uh, Lee. <laughs> no, Christopher Lee is in it. He he rocks up for one scene as an MI5 agent. Um, it's kind of it's a bit cheap of them really to kind of if you look the film up, you'll see Christopher Lee's name quite high on the list. But you know what yeah, Lee yeah. was like. He was he did about six hundred films in his career or something stupid like that. Yeah, and, and yeah. half of them are that one scene. Yeah, fucking yeah. from Sleepy Hollow all the way. Fucking funny man oh. as well. If anyone remember that yeah. shit, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. It's, it's honestly it's worse than that. Like you could cut his <laughs> scene out of this film, and it, it you wouldn't even and notice it's missing. No, not at all. Funny. So. Yeah, funny. It's, oh, well. I, I, I recommend I recommend the film, even if you're not into horror, purely to just enjoy Donald Pleasance. This is I weird, mean, dude, because all, all the films you've mentioned so far, I've not seen any of them, but I have heard of them, um, but I've not watched them, so. Well, Gary Sherman, the director, went on to do uh, Dead and Buried and Paul Geist 3. Um, uh, haven't seen that. Haven't seen that. Oh. What, can I, what can I say? Yeah. Paul Geist right, 3, ben, one of right, your favourites. Pick up the pace because we're on like 40 minutes. <laughs> We've still got like seven films to go each. Oh, my God. Have we really? Okay, yeah, well, know, my right? pick, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring in my Vincent Price movie, which is 1971's The Abominable Dr. Fibes. Uh, <laughs> I could just might, hear him now. I might have seen, but I want. I need to hear the plot, and then I'll know. Okay, all right. So, so basically, it's it's a very dark comedy, um, really dark comedy. So, no, so, that. so, 
so Vincent Price is the uh, the, the aforementioned Doctor Fibes. He is uh, someone who's uh, uh, basically exacting revenge on all the surgeons and doctors that failed to save his wife yeah, after a terrible car accident, and uh, and he has he uses this biblical you know uh, plague type thing or these various methods, these ingenious methods to bump all these people off, and whether it's you know, uh, and so he has this sort of wonderful. Uh, you know, uh, uh, trap, not traps, but kind of gizmos and things, ways of offing people. Like there's one, one, uh, uh, the nurse, you know, she's asleep and, uh, and he's, you know, he drills a hole in the ceiling and pops a, this, uh, sticky liquid through the, and dribbles it all over her and, sh- and then sends locusts in and they all eat her face off and everything. Um, it's, it's very camp. Lovely. Uh, he, do- he doesn't speak at all in the film because he can't because the his face is it, weirdly like the like house of wax his face is fake it's all make makeup and he speaks through a thing in his neck so when he's delivering any lines he's sort of just emoting like this is it, is, is it like a you know the, the smoker's tracheotomy thing well no because it's just it's just he has a big, big mac and a large order of fries yeah no he has, he has a big gramophone thing and he plugs himself in and he can speak and um and uh, so and and there's these sort of bumbling you know english uh uh coppers who are trying to kind of crack the case and they're kind of fun um it, it's it's like it, it's it's horrific in some ways, but very it's very tame. But yeah, you know, it it there's there's some horrificness to it, but there's also a lot of comedy, and uh, and he's just you know he's great. And I st- and again weirdly like the House of Wax that when Sean was talking about that the makeup that they did for him mm. when he takes his face off is, is still really I still really like that that how they realised that this sort of burnt kind nice. of skull i think i've just yeah. got a problem dr five there was a sequel dr five rises again and weirdly I, I did that thing that i do often with movies where i conflate or i kind of splice them together and i think and i and, and, and when i was watching it i was like where's the guy who gets killed with the telephone there's a there's a telephone <laughs> that that pit that spears him through the brain <clears throat> and um that must be in the second movie <laughs> wow. anyway so yeah, the abominable Doctor Fibes. I think I've so just got a problem imagining a film where Price doesn't speak. You know, Vincent Price <laughs> doesn't speak. Honestly, he, he, he doesn't. All he does is emote, and he's sort of you know doing this. But it is his voice. Obviously, he's taped the lines. But um, yeah, yeah. Have, it's, have very, ever, it's very, it's very stylish, and you know, it's. it's have cool. you ever had that, Sean? Where uh, there's a film and a sequel, and you sort of in your head go, which one's which? Yeah, that used to happen to me as a kid with uh, Short Circuit. Just thinking, <laughs> yeah. Nice. Happened to me with with bloody Dirty Harry movies. It happened to me with yes, uh, Dirty with, Harry movies the, definitely. With yeah. the uh, Clint Eastwood, any which way you can, every which way but loose. Yeah, like, yep, which one's yep, which? Yep, me, yep, me too. <laughs> See, you and I grew up with the same TV ban. This is mm. why we've, we've got a lot of crossover. Although you're, you're you know, you're a bit older than me. Um, when things hit TV, they hit TV at the same time. I, you know, you were still mm. older. Than me, obviously, yeah. but we saw the exact same thing at the same time. So uh, I totally yeah. uh, uh, get on with that. Okay, so I can either oh well, I, I can slide over to a similar thing that I talked about before, but I think I'll take what we were, what all three of us just did, which was horror, and mince it over to musical uh, with Ooh. the Bucky Horror Picture Show. Um, Yay, yes. Seems like an obvious choice. 
And I think we probably did bit. mention it on our music uh, musicals uh, show, but um, we didn't, uh, you know, dive too deep on it, and we're not likely to ever again uh, going <laughs> forward. So I wanted to mention it again because um, you know Tim Curry is a bit of a god for me, uh, <laughs> performance-wise. Um, who doesn't fucking know the Rocco Pitch Show? This is an awful choice. Everyone knows the Rocco Pitch Show. But for those I mean, of you who don't... It, it's not on my list because I thought it was too obvious and I thought you would yeah. chastise me for it. So I'm actually yeah. feeling really gloatful now. Annoyed, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, that's good. That's good then, yeah. Shit, <laughs> oh, I'm putting oh, something oh, back on my list oh, now. I'm, 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 yeah, I'm literally saying it now and I'm like, doesn't everyone fucking know this? <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay, well, in that case, I'll keep it short. Love the music, love the performances, love the camp, love the humor. Uh, Got to give some love out to Richard O'Brien uh, for writing this. It is a fantastic piece of art, of musical art. And uh, and I love that, it's, that, that, that it lives on to this day, not just in the cinemas, but in the theaters as well. Um, so what the fuck's it doing on my list? Sean. <laughs> I just want to say about, uh, I can't remember which way round it is, but I remember being really disappointed with, um, uh, with, uh, the soundtrack, um, and that's especially the song sweet transvestite. And I can't remember whether it's the soundtrack <gasps> version is different to the film. No, you don't know what I'm going to say. Like there's a version on either the film or the soundtrack that's, that's, um, that's different. Okay, and, mm. and one of them is really good, like I, I, particularly good, and the other one is kind of I'm like it doesn't. I sound would like hazard it. to bet that the one in the film is really good, but the yeah. one on CD is shit. Yeah, because I, think I had that, that problem with, with Last yeah. of the Mohicans. Um, yeah. Actually, uh, just to sort of uh, before we slide off uh, Rocky Horror, is there a song in this film that you guys are a favourite of yours? Because for me, it's uh, the opening track, Science Fiction, which is. It's it's Magenta's lips, but it's Richard O'Brien's voice, mm. which always blows my mind every time because he's doing a very effeminate voice when he sings that song. But that's my favorite song from that. Ben, have you got a, one that you like? Um, I like all of it. I mean, my my um, um oh, thank God he didn't say meatloaf. <laughs> no, may he rest my, in peace. Uh, my my <laughs> the thing that I, I'm going to be very obvious here and Sean's going to chastise me like he usually does when I say things like this. But I remember being, uh, the only disappointment was that there was no S- Susan Sarandon knockers in it. <laughs> you see no, her in a bra. Know, yeah. yeah, but Dude, you know, yeah. on our last show, 1990, <laughs> I said that, hey, here's a film that Ben will like, White Palace, and you, you had no comments to make. No. Which I'm is trying to, James Spengler again. I, 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 I do try and sidestep the very, you know, <laughs> the, just getting into you know, celebrity boobs, like like we, you know. <laughs> you should never have told us that that used to be your nickname, but yeah, yeah you know, uh, you, you, you know what, you know, yeah, that's Ben's uh, YouTube content right there. <laughs> Make his own mm. list. Yeah. The, 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 the problem with uh, with the Rocky Horror and the soundtrack is like, you know, I love it probably as much as you guys do, but. I've got to admit, I find the time warp cringe-inducing, and I, I can't really... It is, because really, yeah. every time I see it, I can spot fucking uh, Christopher Biggins, and he can fuck off. Yes, <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. I don't mind Biggins. Um, there's, a, there's a song that O'Brien sings towards the end of the film, and it's been a long time, so I, I can't quite remember it that I really liked as well. But anyway, At the very end, when he it shoots might, Frank Furter? 
It might be at the, at the I very end. I am your commander. You are now my prisoner. I think That's yeah. not a bad impression. We return to Transylvania. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I love yeah, that yeah. track too. That's a great track. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Brilliant. Best musical ever made, do you reckon? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's up there. About that. It's definitely there's up a, there. Uh, there's another yeah. rather obvious film that's a musical that I omitted from my list because I thought it was too obvious, um, which I'll mention now because it's topical, and it's Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Mm. But mm. there you go. That's gay porn oh, for you right there. <laughs> it's, it's probably the Don't Dream It song, mate. I've just had a look. Yeah, I, like, I always like that one. When they're in the pool. When they're pool swimming. Uh, yeah, yeah. Just before Brian song, kicks yeah. in and goes, hey, you are now my prisoner. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, I'm hogging, we're hogging way too much fucking time on here. Sean, next. All right, well, I'm going to stick to the early 70s and I'm just going to go next door backwards to 1971. And you'll have probably seen this one, Stephen, hopefully. And I'm See? going to talk about the Boris Sagal's Amiga Man starring yes. Charlton Heston. Who's on form? Never seen it. Jesus fucking Christ. All right, Stephen, answer me this. Have you seen I Am Legend with Will Smith? (laughs) Yes. Then you need to hang by the neck until you are dead. I I I didn't like the Will Smith film. It's fucking dog shit. And I know Charlton Heston did a version, which is this. You've seen the worst depiction of the book, I Am Legend. And there are two others. It's fucking awful. I know there's there's another one. There's another one out there except these two. So, yeah. Yes. Uh, not is. that not that the Amiga Man particularly <laughs> soiling has, green. Um, <laughs> not that the Amiga Man particularly has like it doesn't exactly stay ultra true to the book, but it's a it's a bloody good version of the story. No, it doesn't. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah. So, well, I mean, what can I say? I mean, I I think I sent you guys a, a screenshot while I was rewatching it, and I can't believe I'd never noticed that the antagonist um, Matthias, who is sort of like an al albino nocturnal kind of plague mutant uh just looks like fucking jimmy savile it's it's frightening how, <laughs> how much he looks like jimmy savile. yeah all right so if, if he's the, the last man on earth then how come there's other people on earth because the conceit in the story at least the book is that they're not human anymore they're no longer human they're vampires are they're there kind of... any other singular humans in the story Yes, yes. yes. Oh, he's fine. So yeah. he's not the last man on earth. No, but the point is he assumes he is at the beginning of the film and he's okay. um he's immune to the to the plague. I think that's the name weirdly, of the other weirdly, version. The last, the last, the last man, on man on earth, that's the name of the other film. That's oh, and that's Vincent yeah, yeah. Price again. And that's Vincent yeah. Price in that yeah. Yeah. Vincent Vincent Price. Vincent Price. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, the book is amazing by the way the yes. book is so good and none of the films compare to it but the Amiga Man's the best of them for sure yeah it's it's weird it's got a sort of a um, it might just be the way it looks the production design the way it's shot possibly the makeups but it's got mm. a real sort of um, Romero Giorgio Romero kind of vibe to it it's got a sort of a, that kind of feel to it mm. and I think I think as as, as sort of as Weird as it is to point out, I think because you've got the the interracial kiss on it, because you've got a cast that's very sort of um, very diverse in 1971, I think, mm. and and then that film stock look, I think it gives you that vibe of exploitation films. Yeah. Um, and I think, yeah, I think that kind of oh, and the 70s fucking get ups with the bloody bell bottoms, but 
Charlton Heston's great. He's yeah. got that sort of swagger. This, this is the problem with 70s futurism in movies. They've yeah. still got bell bottoms and shitty fucking 70s hair. And I'm looking at you, Rollerball. Yeah. Among yeah. many others. Yeah. yeah. Right, Ben, yeah. what you got? All right. Well, I have got um, a sort of... You have to um, perhaps um, indulge me in that uh, I'm going to offer two episodes of the 1960s TV series, The Outer Limits. Oh, um, oh curveball. Ooh. Yeah. Um, so um, this was... Welcome to this Film was, Utopia, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> this was... Um, uh, <laughs> This was a show that was, this was the twilight zone for people who like science fiction, right? So this, this was the same kind of thing, you know, um, you know, weekly stories. Um, yeah. um, but, um, but it was more about science fiction. There was two, two stories in particular that I wanted to talk about. One's called I robot, but is nothing to do with Asimov. Um, it's actually about a character called Adam Link. And I highly recommend Nimoy in it. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, Ooh, Sean, and so uh, this this is a case of a robot being on trial for killing his creator. Uh, sound familiar? And um, <laughs> and then um, uh, and the other one is called um, the Premonition, which is just a lovely little bit of sci-fi where uh, these uh, test pilots um, uh, get thrown sort of half an hour or 10 minutes into their own future and they can see everything happening. Everything's frozen and everything's still moving in time, but very, very, very slowly. And they have to figure out a way to save their daughter who's going to get run over and they can't, and they're in this a bit like ghost where they can't interact with anything in the, uh, that's frozen. And uh, it's a lovely little slice of, of, and then the sci- uh, 60s sci-fi and then the writers of Star Trek Voyager ripped off that exact plot for an episode well, well yeah. do you know what the, I think the episode directly preceding um, uh, the premonition was called Wolf 359 Jesus Christ. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Okay. So, so yes, wow. Star our, Trek absolutely, yeah. absolutely had this all over their flipping research. Yeah. I mean, no, there's um, literally an episode of Voyager that sounds like the plot you just described for premonition. Now, yeah. I, I, it rings a bell. I feel like I might have seen Premonition, but I've definitely seen the Leonard Nimoy iRobot yeah, episode, I-Robot. and it yeah. is Jesus Christ. But, uh, yeah, uh, it's yeah. really good. Star Trek, just 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 to note, uh, constantly rip off itself as well, yeah. and never yeah. credit the original writers. Yeah. Uh, well, no, so, so, so the, the Outer Limits, the original <laughs> 60s Outer Limits, I think it's only two or three seasons, two seasons, Um but it's one of those shows that you know it benefits from that sort of black, you know that 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 the creepiness and the kind of you know certain black and white still on the TV. Then you know um, you know there's an effectiveness to it, and and some of the stories are just 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 such pure sci-fi. It's really fun, you know, even if the yeah you know, the, the budget's not high and you know it's typical sort of TV stuff. But yeah, um, yeah good stuff. Cool. Uh, I'm going to jump to the, uh, the the top of my list again. So going back to the 50s, um, a black and white movie again. I've got three black and white movies on my list, actually. Uh, but this one, I'm wondering if Ben has uh, the check disc for this. Uh, back in the day when we used to review discs, we would get send uh, what's called a check disc, which is basically a film that comes in a see-through case and it's plain and... But it has all the content on there, it's, it's, but it's not a finished product um, because I'd just love to have it 
<laughs> yeah, I was about to say why because you want it back. <laughs> yeah, because I'm like, I don't think I can get the actual paid version anymore. Um, and it's a film called Night of the Hunter. This is 1955. It's directed Ooh. by Charles Lawton. Charles Lawton was originally uh, an actor. Uh, he's more famous for being an actor. This is the only film that he directed in his life. And it bombed, and it's a it's a fucking shame because he had some uh, artistic skills. Uh, Charles Lawton, for people may remember him if you if you're into historic cinema, things like uh, he was in a sporting role in Spartacus, um, and I think he's quite famous for playing the Hunchback of Notre Dame Hunchback as well. Of Notre Dame, yeah, yes, that's, how, that's what um, I know him from. Yeah, but this is a Robert Mitchum starring movie with uh, Shelley Winters and Lillian Gish in there. Lillian Gish is, is is quite elderly at this point; she comes in halfway through the movie. Robert Mitchum is basically a religious fucking psychopath and murderer. Um, and at the beginning of the film, he's in prison with a guy, uh, and this guy has committed a robbery and has stashed the money somewhere. And Mitchum f- gets the gist of where this money may be. Um, and then once this other guy's dead, Mitchum, you know, tracks down the family, which is the widow, uh, played by uh, Shelley Winters, and her two children, a, a son and a daughter. Um, and he's basically there to infiltrate this family and try and find this money. Um, but the kids get wise to this and uh, end up going on the run. And and right by saying that, I'm skipping a whole lot of plot that happens mm-hmm. before that with him marrying this widow, converting her over to his religion, if you want to call it that. And then drowning his her whole, in a car. His whole love. Her. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. oh my God. Yeah. The shot of her tied to this car it, uh, you know, below this water, that you know, that gets seen by the yeah. fishermen that find her is a fucking gorgeous bit of uh, cinematography right there. Um, yeah, it, it's a fairy tale gone wrong. This, you know, these two kids going on the run with this nutcase chasing them, um, and what goes on, you know, after that, it is a, an outstanding looking movie. Um, it really is a, a very powerful uh, and great performances. This is my favorite, Robert Mitchum. Um, and that's going up against things like Cape Fear, the original one, and that's mm. fucking good too. Shit, I should have put that on my list instead of uh, Rocky Horror. <laughs> anyway. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, uh, uh, if you like uh, something that's that, that that's a little bit weird and a little bit dreamy, but also it, it's never camp. It takes itself very seriously. Um, but at the same time, it's, um, it, it's got this weird sort of hip, hypnotic uh, feel to it as it goes on. Um, it's a wonderful looking movie. And um, if I keep yeah. talking, I'm just going to trip over my own tongue. So I'm going to leave he's, it at that. He's re- I mean, Mitchum was great. I mean, I, he, I know he played a lot of um, anti-heroes and bad guys yeah. and stuff, but there was something about his performance in this, which was really, uh, oh. really three-dimensional, you know, and really yeah. fucking, uh, yeah. Just, yeah, it was I really good. I what, think what I'll say about any of the films that we are talking about, if, uh, if, if one of us say something that perks your interest, just screenshot the movie to get uh, s- some shots because you'll, you'll you'll more than likely come up with some of the most famous shots from these films. And with yeah. this one, it's likely to be the love hate on his, that he has tattooed on on his fingers. Yeah. Um, yeah. You see, and I, the when you were, that he's wearing. Yeah. When you were reeling off the synopsis, I always took it that he was um, he was uh, he was faking his religious sort of uh, motivations. And that he wasn't actually, but if you read, no, but you're right. If you read yeah. the synopsis, it says that he's like formally a priest and all the rest of it. Oh, he, oh, he, he's I always total, read it that he was no. that he was like a con man, basically. And he sort of, yeah. he curries favor, doesn't he, with that community? 
and they yeah. all they all want to marry off the 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 young widow again, and they're yeah. all like besotted with him and think he's perfect and everything. Yeah. And I just thought, yeah, yeah. yeah but, no, and, and he, he actually gets offended by uh, he actually gets offended by things that you know break the the, the, the rules of the book, apart from murder, apparently. Yeah, apart from murder. Uh, but with any, his anytime someone gets flirtatious <laughs> or something like that, he's like, ah, oh, hell, he, hell, beast, whatever, you know, and fucking chastises them. And that's how he ends up murdering this widow, you know, uh, and converting yeah. her into this uh, mummified state of a person. Um, yeah, it's well, uh, she over okay. she overhears him grilling the kids, doesn't he? Uh, mm. Doesn't she through the window looking for the money? And um, and then when she confronts him about it in a really kind of weird wishy washy way, not in a bad way, like you said, it sort of works mm. with the dreaminess of the film. That's when he sort of kills her. And yeah, even that scene, it's kind of got a theatricality to it when he sort of, he, he stood by the window, isn't he? And she's in bed and he takes a switch. She's lying in the bed, you know, yeah. all, you know all, all but waiting for this and to it, come it, to yeah, her. Yeah, it sort of goes very kind mm. of theatrical. There's a couple of moments in the film like that. And I th- yeah, I think obviously by design to kind of give it this sort of um, whimsical feel, which is really at odds with the pretty dark fucking story. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's almost got yeah. like a family film vibe to it, but... Yeah, it was a yeah, very but, good choice. It's actually narrowly missed my list, actually. Yeah, nice. Yeah. Right, go on, mm. go on with yours. Right, well, I'm, I, I'd accidentally scrolled to the top of my notes. So I'm just going to go to 1967. I'm going to talk about the third film in a series based on a TV series, a BBC TV series, the best film, because it had the best version of the character, and it is Quatermass and the Pit. Yes. <laughs> I thought Ben. Nice. Um, now, nice. I, I, must, I knew you picked that one. I must admit that, like, I tried really hard uh, to avoid Universal Monsters and Hammer um, because I thought we would end up sort of revisiting these in, in detail at another date. But unfortunately, Quite a Mass in the Pit is a Hammer production. Uh, it's the only one. I did avoid Universal Monsters. Don't worry, Stephen. There's not going to be any creature from the Black Lagoon this time. Um, so it's written by Nigel Neal straight off the show. Um, thank fuck they recast Quatermass, Professor Quatermass, mm-hmm. um, to a, a British actor and not that wrong'un that was in the previous ones from the experiment. Um, <laughs> and speaking of USA, God, was this, was this the one that was called Five Million? Yeah, it was Five Million yeah. Years to Earth in the fucking USA. Oh my God, what is wrong with them? What is wrong with them? anyway? Um, it's a, it's a it's a terrific <laughs> film. Um, it's basically like if you haven't seen it and or you're not familiar with Quatermass in general, it's almost like a proto X Files where sort of Quatermass yeah. is is sort of a, 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 a he's Mulder basically he believes in the paranormal and he's a professor, he's a very learned man, and he's always up against the establishment who refuse to believe his kind of like um, paranormal explanations for things. In this case, it's basically the government when they find a uh, a pod buried again in the London underground and none of their drill bits can get into it. You know, it's like it's harder than diamond. And eventually when they do pop into it, they find sort of the fossilized remains of um, sort of insect-like creatures that uh, upon being exposed to the atmosphere of Earth, the oxygen, they immediately start to decompose. Quatermass is obviously they're aliens and, you know, there's mind control and, you know, they're carrying pathogens, which is going to zombify humanity and, you know, everyone's up against him. But of course, it turns out that he's correct. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. And yes. And also, interesting uh, note the, the tube station, under, uh, uh, the underground, where they find the pod under the underground, 
is called Hobbs End. And the minute I saw that again on the rewatch, because I hadn't made the connection from historically loving Carpenter. the film. Yes, I thought I bet you Carpenter named Hobbs End in um, <laughs> in, uh, in the mouth of madness. Uh, yeah. In the mouth of madness after that, but um, I don't know. Does uh, this film look a little bit also like a sixties Doctor Who movie? <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. There's definitely yeah. a bit of that going on, but um, but I would say that I prefer it to Doctor Who personally. Oh God, yes. There's yeah. no way near as hokey. But, yeah, this is the first film in your list that I've actually seen once, and again oh. for the first time in the last decade. <laughs> I would also say that you don't have to be a Quatermass fan uh, TV no. series, and you definitely don't have to have seen the previous two films. No. Um, it can stand alone. Um, yeah. And it's, it's fucking very, dark. Very good. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Mr. Mm. Pegley in your sauna. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, it does look a bit like that, doesn't it? Um, right, ben has well, I, I, I was going to have quite uh, the quite mass experiment on my list. I, I uh, um, <laughs> but I, it, it isn't, but I was going to do that. So I was quite pleased that you put um, quite mass in the pit on there. Nice. Um, so, all right. Well, my next um, <clears throat> pick is, the 1970 uh, Dustin Hoffman movie. I've mentioned it in passing a couple of times, but uh, I'm not sure if you guys have seen it. It's called Little Big Man. Um, I have not. And it's, I, I think, um, now I haven't seen Young Guns in a long time, but correct me if I'm wrong, is not is there a prologue in Young Guns where, where he's old? There's someone old being interviewed. That's Young Am Guns 2. That? That's Young Guns 2. Okay. Yeah. When, so when they they're totally saying that he survived, yeah. Yeah, they totally ripped off Little Big Man with, with that because that's how that starts. So he basically, um, um, uh, it's it's one of those sort of almost like a, a Western epic in that it kind of runs the from this uh, Dustin Hoffman's characters. Uh, uh, he's he's raised by um, um, Cheyenne um, Nation um, from a child after a disaster or whatever after you know and uh, I think the Pawnee or something anyway and 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 he but he go it goes through all these different stages of his life where he's a drunk and he's a, a hunter and he's uh, helping the army and he's then he's with the Indians and he's back with the Indians and it's sort of it, it, he's a gunslinger and then he, you know, for hire and then uh, he, he's at Custer's last stand and it's a bit one of those and uh, it's it's a it's a really cool sort of, it's funny, but it's sort of, you know, it's the most typical 1970, you know, that sort of era where there's, there's an edge to it, but it's, um, it's Dustin Hoffman fade on away. Um, and he, uh, it's the, the guy, basically the film starts with this guy as being the oldest man in the world. And he's being interviewed by, um, a historian and he starts recounting his, his life. And uh, it's this kind of amazing, epic uh, life of of many, many chapters of very different things, um, and uh, it's just yeah, it's a good film. It's it's Dustin Hoffman, you know, probably, you know, on his ascendance to being you know a very, very uh, a famous guy, and but he's very young in this, you know, and uh, yeah, it's it's well worth a watch. Um, I, I always mention it in. Tandem with the man called Horse, which was the same year. Oh, you ruined my <laughs> joke. <laughs> oh, sorry. Um, <laughs> I was going to go. Well, I was going to mention a man called Horse. <laughs> uh, sorry, but um, uh, the, the nipple that, scene on that, where they're fucking, yeah, but he's tied up with a ow. Yeah, 
Fucking yes, owl. that's very yeah. yes. Yeah, <laughs> they are. Actually, I, I always think of them as very similar in in terms of they're both the pre precursors in a way to things like Dances with Wolves, with this whole idea yeah. of, of, of the white white guy being raised in in Indian. But but actually, a man called Horse uh, on, on review, he, he's he's already an adult when he's taken in by that's right the Indians. Whereas yeah. a little big man, he's a, he's a child and he's he yeah, he's grows up. Ugly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes. Give a boy a rope. You want to be a cowboy. <laughs> <laughs> this yeah. this like revisionist history kind of thing. Also, it sounds like a precursor to all those kind of um, you know, like Forrest Gump and Big Fish and those kind of films. Is it that kind of? Is it like a? Is it how they started basically? Well, I think I think it does um, take quite a few. Um, quite a few liberties especially with i mean i mean i mean it's very it's very i guess of its time and very liberal maybe and left wing a little bit in terms of its so its depiction of custer is not flattering you know it's very kind of <laughs> you know you know he they, they take some liberties with uh with with the battle of little, little big horn although they do base i think their 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 version of custer on, on you know well-documented traits that the guy had the guy wasn't bit of a nutcase um but yeah it's it it's it, it's i think it's notable now in terms of it being sort of and in a similar way to man called horse is that it, it doesn't necessarily come down on either side wholly you know it's, it's a little bit more kind of you know well you know there's 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 good and bad on on everywhere you look you know but um However, that's kind of a bit uh, controversial as well. But yeah, no, it's a good film. Well, everything's big, controversial uh, big, these days. Oh, well, that's true. <laughs> little big man. It's, it, and, it, and I thought I'd pick that one because it's it, it's quite forgotten about. And I seem to remember seeing it quite a lot when I was a kid, you know. Mm. Um, anyway, there you I've go. I've got a, well, my segue right there is a film from the 70s that I watched a lot as a kid that seems to be forgotten now. And it's very much of its time, but it has forward thinking about it but it's also got its own daftness in its humor in particular um and if this director uh, writer director actor should i say continued on this path i'd be a big fan of his right now um and at almost 50 films i can safely say i'm fucking not a fan of his <laughs> except this film uh, but again uh, uh you know modern day uh, uh uh, social and sexual and blah blah blah, blah politics wise it's dated a little bit but that's why I want to point this one out because I think it's a time capsule of a movie that's looking at the future and that is 1973 Woody Allen Sleeper which I know Ben's seen it's, um, <laughs> it's very funny it's, it's very goofball it's very spoof um and all that stuff pretty much still works. Uh, 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 his, uh, this is a man who uh, wakes up in the future. Uh, he, he, he gets you know defrosted or whatever it is, or whether he's covered in tin foil, you know, because they've got no fucking budget for stuff. <laughs> and um, uh, and he's a man of, of the uh, well, the, you know, the twentieth century, and he's living in a future which is very dystopian. Blah 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 blah. He can't do this. You can't do that. You, you know, but but uh, but they make everything reverse, isn't it? Like meat is the best thing for you, and smoking is the best thing for you. Um, <laughs> you know, you know that, that's the sort of jokes that are made. 
Um, and then there's a lot of uh, uh, jokes about relationships between men and women and, and what they do or don't do. Um, and then there's a little, you know, sci-fi adventure story in there as well with, you know, Big Brother being the bad guy. Um, it's worth checking out because it's not long. It's, you know, it's like one of these 90-minute movies, but it's worth checking out because uh, the humor is actually still funny, but also the things that they didn't get right or the things that are, you know, a, a bit wrong are worth watching just to see how they wrote those jokes and that, and that sort of drama back then. Because um, mm. I, I, I'm like the opposite of cancel culture. Don't say, um, it's like anytime you watch something on Disney, it comes with a precursor, you know, there, there may be scenes in this movie that will offend some people. Um, and this probably would have that uh, disclaimer as well if Disney owned it. And I'm just like, watch it, not because um, it's right in that sense, but because it is always interesting to see how we made things back then um, and, and what we got wrong. You know, I'll, I'll say, say the same about Lethal Weapon. Lethal Weapon has got, you know, shit in it that, you know, you, you could not right now and get away with. You know, Riggs referring to Myrtle as a fag off the cuff, you know, when his yeah. coat's on fire, you know, stuff like that. Sleeper's got similar I mean, things yeah. in it. Yeah. I, I, well, I don't think these things need to be erased. I think we should uh, preserve them and watch them and go, okay, that's how we did it back then. Well, we're sat here talking about films from the 50s and 60s where it was yeah. just perfectly acceptable to slap a hysterical woman across the face, which I saw a disturbing amount of times as I was re-watching several films <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. For, this, for this. But also, yeah. um, going back to Sleeper... But the answer like, is not burning books. <laughs> no, the answer is not erasing the history, no, because otherwise you don't learn from it and you don't remember, and the answer is not exactly. to pull statues down. Anyway, let's not go political. Um, <laughs> the, but going back to Sleeper, the, the, the fascinating thing about it, obviously, is because it, 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 it the joke is... Um, in the future, you know, everything that we we know is like wrong and shit and all the rest of it. That's actually yeah. just going to be times 100. It's basically a uh, <laughs> idiocracy of its day, right? Yeah. Um, and yeah. so it's fascinating to see the the impression of a shit future from that, from that era. Now, yeah. I haven't seen the film for a very, very long time. But it's also probably the 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 singular Woody Allen film that, that you know when you get clip shows, there's always fucking clips from this film. You know yeah, what I mean? I don't know if you noticed that, but it's always the orgasmatron, isn't it? Yeah, the, the orgasmatron, <laughs> the, the, the orgasmatron. giant fruit. But, but I didn't even I didn't even mention Woody Allen's physical humor. I mean, I actually do laugh out loud watching him as a physical actor. He's he's much more well known as a talkie actor these days yeah. um, but but the but my favorite scene in the film is when he's pretending to be a robot and he gets taken mm. off to the robot factory to be fixed and he's sitting there you know sort of holding his arms in a weird position holding still <laughs> but at the same time looking for the corner of his eyes as these other robots are having their heads removed with wrenches <laughs> and, and and he's got this like thing in his mouth like that, that, yeah. that they made up it just sort of falls out and he's like what the fuck yeah. like, what the fuck is this gonna happen to me next it's there's great physical comedy going on in this film yeah. yeah. Anyway, let's move yeah. on. Sean. Righty-ho. Well, I'm going to go okay. back to a colour film from 1960 directed by George Powell called The Time Machine based on H.G. Wells' The Time oh, Machine. Sweet. Um, oh, nice. I've got very Rod fond Taylor, memories. Yeah. yeah, Rod Taylor from The Birds, Hitchcock. Um, and also he, he cameoed as Winston Churchill, didn't he, in Inglorious Bastards. That's right. That was yeah. his last film. Um, yeah, mm. this film's got a real sort of, it's, it's one of those warm places in my heart films as I, uh, I, I remember watching it with my mother on uh, afternoon t uh, TV 
in the uh, probably over the Easter holidays or something like that. Um, I'm a big fan of HG Wells anyway. Uh, it's come up a lot. Um, it was a toss up between this and War of the Worlds, which uh, was produced actually by George Powell. George who Powell, also yeah, directed this. Yeah. Um, the reason I picked this one over, I think, is just for the the nostalgia, heartwarming memories, but also because it remains significantly truer to the source material than the 50s War of the Worlds film, even though I really like that film. It's certainly a fucking lot better than the Steven Spielberg shite. Um, but yeah. <laughs> can't, Sorry, can't let flash, that one go. Flashback to Sean's response <laughs> to that film. Oh, God. Anyone listening, go back and check out our Spielberg retrospective. Uh, that's got to be in what, the last part, part five, part four or five. Probably. Yeah. yeah the, the, probably. the War of the World section is fucking hilarious. Especially Sean's. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, the th- the thing about H.G. Wells is he he's got the the time period on his side, being sort of a, a late nineteen hundreds author. All of his science fiction is uh, is based um, set in his modern day, and obviously mm. that's now gone on in popular culture to have this kind of like steampunk um, thing, and it's it's very palatable. It's very sort of Moorish. I'm a real sucker for it. So I love the time machine and the the design of 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 the time machine and the look of the 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 um the period setting and everything and also the the just the philosophical outlook on life um uh, um the the protagonist I mean he's he's playing um HG Wells in in the story he's he's sort of his his outlook on life very much of the time is just something really, really beautiful that we we kind of don't have anymore, and it's yeah, it's kind of it's great. It's kind of stoic and heroic, and yet not weak. I don't know. Yeah, I'm sort of waffling a little bit, but I don't know. It means a lot to me. This film, also mm. one of my favourite scores ever by Russell Garcia, right. played by did the you see MGM. The, the remake with uh, Guy Pearce. Yes, I did see yes. the remake. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I don't mind the remake too much. Yeah, Do I not okay. mind it? I certainly don't mind the first half of it. It's sort of when yeah. Mumba comes in and it sort of goes a bit action heavy at Samantha the end of the Mumba. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The, um, the Victorian set stuff I I I quite like. The setup I thought was good. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and the, I quite like the liked death of the, the wife uh, and him trying to, you yeah. know, save her endlessly. Yeah, I mean that wasn't about that was sort of an addition and I didn't mind that because mm. it gives him a sort of motive whereas Absolutely. the motive in the original film is very much sort of scientific exploration and then he's kind of yeah. devastated to learn that thousands of years in the future there's no there's no knowledge, you know, that was his big sort yep. of um come We're down. Fucked. <laughs> and there's no personified antagonist uh, as in in the shape of um Jeremy of Irons. Uh, Jeremy Irons, exactly. <laughs> it's just Morlocks, you know, Morlocks. and then sort of because yeah. that's uh, the 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 war had happened several hundred years before the time period he arrives at, so it's already sort of settled into yeah. this new thing. And Have you've you got seen the... the? Go on, go on. No, Are I was just going to say, and you've yeah. you've got the you, you you've got the the story delivered to him via the the silver discs in exposition, as opposed to. Um, it being mm. in the moment in the Guy Pearce uh, yeah. sort of modern version. but Anytime yeah. I watch the film Ransom with Mel Gibson, um, right. yep. because Gary Sinise is the, the villain in that, spoiler, <laughs> um, 
and he's talking to him on the radio and he makes mention to this film about the Eloy and the Morlocks. And every time he does that speech in that film, I'm like, oh yeah, I want to watch that film again. Uh, yeah. 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 Anyway, yeah. Uh, let's so, get on go, to our... Just going to, your, to the special effects again, because you mentioned the rear mm. projection earlier. I mean, this film, I think it won an Oscar. It did win an Oscar for best yeah. special effects and it's for the time-lapse uh, photography showing the uh, fast passage nice. of time. I'm pretty sure it's the earliest version of that effect that I've seen. I'm not saying that ever was committed to film, but it's mm-hmm. it's amazing when you think 1960 and you look at the visuals, you think, fucking hell. But there you go. <laughs> cool. Mm. Right, we've got four more to go each. Ben? Really? Crikey. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, I'm going to change things up a little bit here, and I'm going to go take us back to 1963 and Disney, and it's The Sword in the Stone. Um Ooh. Okay. And the reason why I've picked this one, um, it, you know, it was it was sandwiched in between two very, very, very cherished Disney properties: one hundred one Dimensions in sixty one, and the Jungle Book in sixty seven. And this is this this is the film that was in between. And it, I adore this film, and it's one of those ones that that doesn't seem to be a, a, anywhere on many people's lists of. Disney movies, you know, they're very forgotten about. Um, kind of like, you know, uh, like a bit like the Robin Hood and things like that, but that's yeah. later, you yeah. know. Um, but, you know, look, where, whereas everyone remembers Bed Knobs and Broomsticks and everyone's going about Angela Lansbury and blah, 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 and, and, and with the live action stuff and all that, and Mary Poppins and all that, and, and rightly so, don't get me wrong, but, but The Sword and the Stone is a lot of fun. And, um, Weirdly, it's it it seems to have sort of lent some of its characters to other Disney properties, like Madame Mim, uh, who's the sort of the the witch character in it. Who they have a, her, her and Merlin have this sort of antagonistic relationship. Um, you know, uh, it, by the way, it's obviously an Arthurian type take on the legend. Um, she appears in sort of other Disney properties late, late, later on, you know, and and various uh, uh, parts of it have kind of been sort of, you know. <laughs> extracted and used elsewhere but the film's great it's it's you know it's it's Illaged. it's you know it's merlin and his owl and his you know the young arthur and you know uh and it's it's, it's a good fun movie and it needs to be watched by more people <laughs> well i'm sure so, when um, um disney make a live action gender and race swapped version of it um everyone will see it then <clears throat> velma yeah <clears throat> yeah <laughs> <laughs> transgender fucking Merlin, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. I, 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 I never took to this film because I, I was expecting King Arthur, but it's not that at all. It's it no. leads up to the sword and stone. That's pretty much the ending. Is the sword in the stone? Um, I think that's what what disappointed me about it. But yeah, you know, fair enough. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know it, about it being yeah. sandwiched between the. Uh, 101 Dalmatians and uh, The Jungle Book. Surely there's other films in between those years that came out. Um, I think he just meant fondly remembered. Oh, okay. I'm not I'm not sure there are, Stephen. Um, if, if Jungle Book was 67, I'm like, surely there's... What year was this one? 63. Mm, okay. I thought there might be someone else in between. Anyway, whatever. I'm being mm. weird. it's 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 weird when you when you look at um you know because obviously they 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 came back in 1950 with uh, cinderella and that's when things sort of kicked off after the war yeah and um yeah alice in wonderland and and that's like 51 yeah yeah 
Yeah, yeah. So yeah. you've got this kind of run of you know still very cherished movies, and 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 really when you look at it like that, the Sword and the Stone is like the first sort of you know like one that just isn't fondly remembered in the same way as the others. You know, yeah. Um, I'd say and, Robin Hood probably isn't fondly remembered either. No, as fondly that remembered. Wasn't, that, that wasn't until later. Yeah, seventy three. That was. Uh. But, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, but, but it was successful. This is the weird thing. See, I never see. I've, I've actually got a list of uh, ready to go for my YouTube, uh, my ten plus one for luck, uh, Disney classics animated movies. Yeah, because I, because mm. I, I, I was assuming that it wouldn't be a subject that we would that we would cover. But oh, well, I'm glad you brought yeah. that one up. Um, mm. Right. Anyway, I'll, I'll get on with mine. Um, I'll pick. I'll pick one from the 70s. I'll go forward again, and um, I love a fucking. Uh, this is to pay uh, lip service to last year. Last year we had pretty much the return of the Who Done It in cinema, and I thought I've got to pick a fucking Who Done It from back in the day, but I'm not going to go Peter Yusinoff and I'm not going to go um, Poirot, but I am going to go Agatha Christie. Um, and this is the film that uh, I saw on TV back when, uh, whenever the hell it was on in the eighties or something um, and really liked, uh, but I don't hear a lot of love for it, despite the fact that it has a cast uh, that includes Elkie Summer uh, Gert Frober, which is fucking Goldfinger, Herbert Lom, Oliver Reed, Richard Attenborough, uh, and the voice of Orson Welles, uh, and that is 1974's And Then There Were None. And then There Were None. Yeah. Uh, known in the <laughs> in the US as uh, Ten Little Indians. Ten Little um, Indians, yeah. This is actually uh, potentially my favorite whodunit story. I've read the book. Um, I love the book, and this is very very uh, loyal to the book. Uh, I have seen other versions of this. I played a game version of this where they changed out who the killer is. Uh, I saw a mini series that was done on TV in the UK in the last decade, including the likes of Charles Dance and I pretty bu- and, and Sam Neill, pretty much uh, sure Charles that they changed, that, ch- changed the killer uh, in that one as well. This is a terrific uh, film. I really, really... Love it. And it's economical. It's short. Um, it looks good. Um, and it just gets on with it. It just gets on with it. Um, if you like, like a good whodunit, stick it on. And if you know your actors from the past, you'll get a real blast out of this. But, was, but the last time I watched it, which was in the, the, you know, the last sort of a month or, or two, um, I'm watching it. And the, 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 the first person that dies gets um, that sort of typical moment in a, in a horror film or, or a thriller where someone talks a lot before they then get killed off in the next scene. Um, and this guy is an entertainer. Yeah. He, he does a musical number on the piano. And I'm like, this is a really long song. It's going on for a while. Why are we focusing on, on this? I'll yeah. bet you any money that this guy is actually <laughs> a musician in real life. And I looked him up and he fucking was. This is a, you know a, a, an actual musical entertainer in real life. Uh, Charles... Aznavour, if I'm pronouncing that right. Um, it's kind of like the guy from the Dirty Dozen um, that was actually a musical guy and then he's there to sing songs and then get killed off when, when they parachute in. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's a great fun film. If you love, if you love a whodunit uh, and, and you want to go back and discover some ones that you haven't seen before and then there were none from 1974 is worthwhile. Do not confuse it with the 1989 or 88 version with Frank Stallone, which also features <laughs> Herbert Lom. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Yes. Let's not do that. Yeah. Same producer I though. This one very, yeah. I remember this one very fondly as well. 
Mm. I have to say, yeah, very fondly. Um, 70s haircuts though, right? Well, I don't, yeah, I don't mind that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just chuckling right. at that, uh, at the, at the fact you pointed out that conceit of like, you know, giving somebody who's going to die loads of screen time just before it happens. And I was like, oh, yeah. shit, yeah, I'd forgotten about that. <laughs> they need to bring that back, really, rather than yeah. the, the prop MacGuffin. Um, I heard somebody make a, a, an observation uh, recently that it's just so true. Um, when we're talking about like these old films and like the writers have all sort of um, cut their teeth by studying novels and screenplays and playwrights and stuff oh. like that. Um, whereas modern writers, they all grew up playing computer games and that's why all the fucking plots are like, you know, you know, go go to this location to, to, to it's like a quest to collect <laughs> this object to take to this fucking location and it's like fucking hell yeah. it was like a light bulb went off my head it's like it's so right yeah mm. yep. Jesus right we got Mr Kennedy um, well I'm gonna I'm gonna go the complete fucking tonal reversal of Benjamin on his last pick and go to 1965 and talk about Repulsion by Roman Polanski. With a, um, it was his first English language film. Actually, he also wrote it, I believe. Um, unfortunate sort of um, unfortunate plot devices, given Roman Polanski's um, future, <laughs> shall we say? But, but yeah, the, the the reason I like this film is um, it's the it's the fact that it's a horror in disguise and it's um as psychological so yeah very much so and and i'm going to say something very controversial i think this film he does it better than hitchcock does um <sighs> there's just something about the the sort of uh, lonely self kind of um imprisoned paranoia and delusion developing throughout the course of the film of the of the protagonist carol um and the way it's filmed and the the way you see her her delusions and visions with the house sort of fracturing in the walls and the you know the mm. the fucking terrifying bloody um man coming into the room and uh, assaulting her and things like that and obviously it sort of it gets to that point where it's like when she kills the the guy colin who's interested in her with a candlestick you know, it's like, did that actually happen, or was that a sort of a a, a daydream as well? Um, right the way through to the end, where the skipping ahead, where the the camera focuses in on the family portrait of her as a little girl, and she's kind of like staring at the guy in the photo, sort of with you know animosity, and you raises the question: is like, is she like this? Does she have this distrust of men because something awful happened to her as a child, or is she just mental and always has been? You know, mm. um, I think sounds like Marnie. <laughs> it's uh, it's a wonderful film. Um, it's basically just about a Belgian beautician who's living in London with her older sister. She doesn't approve of the relationship that the older sister has with a married man, and she's very off put by men and male advances in general, um, sort of nefarious or otherwise. So uh, Colin, who's interested in her, it's very very natural, normal kind of interest in a pretty young woman, and he doesn't. You know, he's not nasty or anything, but she ends up thinking he's got designs and kills him, uh, leading right up to the um, the landlord who visits for the rent at the end of the film, the Apex, uh, who really is a fucking wronger and definitely deserves getting sliced up with the uh, cutthroat <laughs> razor. Yeah, it's a very, very good film. I wouldn't necessarily say I'm, I'm outright a Polanski fan. I've actually not seen that many. 
Um, but it's it's a very good of its time, of its era, okay. Hitchcockian uh, psychological horror. Um, very watchable. Very good. Yeah. Well, this yes. is why I didn't pick any Hitchcock because I'm I'm hoping at some point uh, that, that that will will cover it in some form. And same with him. It's, it's same with Kubrick. You know, I'm hoping at some point we'll cover Kubrick. But uh, yeah, but this one, I've not, I've not seen I've not seen this film. And I'm sure you dropped ten hundred million spoilers just now, which hopefully I'll forget when I do get around to watching it. But <laughs> I did almost pick a Roman Polanski movie for my mm. list. And I deliberately X'd it off because I want to talk about it in context of another list that we'll do one day, uh, which I won't spoil, but it is a, a favorite of mine. But uh, from everything that you said, literally, I'm like, wow, I'm fucking, what year did this come out? 65. It's not really, oh. a, it's not really a spoilery film, to be honest. With no, you, no, no, no. But, 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 yeah. but literally, I'm just like, wow, it, it does sound like, you know, that, that there's uh, illusions to uh, Hitchcock's Marnie. Um, oh yeah, you, yeah. You both seen that? Hey, th- when yeah. you watched Marnie for the first time, Ben, did you figure out why it is that she had such a trouble with the color red? No, you know, right? No, and and yeah, it's, and, and, no. it's, and it's just the blood of what her dad or father-in-law who she yeah. stabs. Yeah, yeah. They could go say, a little darker with that. It'd be like would, cut yeah. to her point of view, and it's daddy's fucking red helmet coming at her. <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> I, would, I, would say that, I would say that Hitch, Hitchcock relies much more on the sort of unknown and the questions left unanswered kind of style of storytelling, whereas th- this film, it's very, it's, it's very on the nose, really. The coda is neither here nor there to, to how entertaining the film is. On the but, nose. Um, this was the red helmet. Right. Right. <laughs> 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 Sorry, <laughs> it's all right. Here uh, you go. Okay, so it's is it me again? Yes. All right. Well, um, so I, I mentioned Nick Rogue, Nicholas Rogue earlier, um, and it, the reason why I was thinking about looking at his filmography was uh, something came up, um, and I was like, oh yeah, I remember that film, and then blah blah blah. And so it actually turns out there was a, there's a film that I wanted to put on my list of his, which was. Uh, 1976, which is the man who fell to earth. Oh wow! Uh, oh, actually, very, actually, I very because I, put that I, one I mixed on. him up with uh, <laughs> with uh, fucking Hodges earlier. Nick Rogue, didn't mm. he do that fucked up Teresa he, Russell movie with fucking Afro Boy? What's he called? Fucking Godfather. Timing. Yes. Bad timing. Yes. When shags a corpse at the end. <laughs> fucking. Although that's hell. 1980. So yeah, exactly. I was, one. Like, I was like, you're picking that one because that one's 80. <laughs> All right. Yeah, Man, so who- he did. He did performance, with, which is very infamous, and Walkabout with Jenny Ag- Agatha. And is that the now, course, performance? Is that the fucking um, Jagger? Yeah, and uh, Fox. Yeah. And really, Jagger plays one of the a weird Fox version Fox. of himself. Yes, yeah. James well, if, Fox. If you yeah. can pick the man who fell off, then I can totally have Rocky Horror on my list. Of course you can. Yeah. So anyway, <laughs> so the man who fell to earth is not another one of those movies that. I saw seemed to be on British TV a lot when I was a kid. And, um, and it's, it's a very sort of um, ostensibly it's a science fiction, science fantasy, um, but it's, it's, it's extremely sort of stylized. It's about basically, you know, it's, a, it's about a, a, an alien who has come to earth in search of water because his planet's uh, dying. And he sort of assumes the, the role of this kind of strange um it's david bowie right uh, in his uh, uh right in the middle of his um uh, i think uh thin white duke 
Is that, I think it's yeah, that period of his life. That's right. Yeah. Um, and he is, you know, at once extremely otherworldly um, in his demeanor and his his performance is is stunning, really. Um, although he says he doesn't really remember much of it. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but um, it's uh, uh, co-stars Rip Torn and Candy, a lady called Candy Clark, who. Um, uh, again, this this uh, I, there was all sorts of things that I'd never seen before in this film when I watched it. Like, I mean, there's a there's a scene where she uh, wets herself, bless her, mm. and I remember I remember that going. Oh, I've I've just never seen that before in a movie. You know, it's it's weird. But he obviously, um, <laughs> if, if, you know, if you'd made it to he, the end of the Weird Alkovit uh, movie, then you would have seen it. <laughs> yeah. So he's. Um, you know, he, he, he sort of plays the part of this kind of, you know, this strange Englishman and he's sort of, um, um, incredibly wealthy and, uh, but he ends up getting trapped, um, on earth. And, um, you know, it's just, it's, it's a bizarre film. Um, uh, Fucking uh, uh, yeah, it's, and, but it's, it's one of those movies that I'm just, I, I'm very glad films like this exist. And I love, and it's one of the things I know people are always down on, quite often down on 70s cinema in a lot of ways we've although we've managed to pick a lot of films from the 70s between us today um yeah i've got five on and, the 70s were great <laughs> some of the best yeah. films ever made in the 70s well, exactly um so this is one of those kind of uh one of those movies that um you know just delivers a very very sort of surreal and strange um experience and and bowie was just perfect casting but he didn't have to act, did he? Basically, no. That's, that was no. why he was so perfect at the beginning. <laughs> yeah. When you when you started talking, I thought you were going to say it's about an alien who uh, comes to Earth in search of water and becomes an alcoholic. Yeah, and becomes the sort of alcoholic recluse. Uh, <laughs> I love, yeah. I love the final scene where he's like, you know, you can always get money. Would you like a drink? And he's like, you know, because he's and he's just given up and he's just become like yeah. a socialite pisshead. Yeah, uh, he's just he's oh, just on. A, a embarrassed to admit yeah. that I've not seen it. Ah, well, there you are. I've oh, only seen to, clips. You've got to see it at least once. Uh, and trailers. Let me guess. Um, you've seen the clip of him taking his ears and eyes out, and so you see his alien yeah. appearance. I was just there or, or, when the girl sees him with the silver eyes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or yeah. yeah. the uh, the clip of him having his contact because he wears contact lenses to, mm. to appear human, and he gets. I think they X-ray him or something, don't they? And and it fuses <laughs> the contact lenses to his to his eyes Ouch. um but there's there's um there's some of the imagery like when they when he does when he has these um you know sort of flashbacks or these images of of his home uh planet and and, it, and, they're, and they're all kind of just in their skin type 70s lycra body suits um bouncing on trampolines that you can't see they're out of shot <laughs> it's great oh brilliant nice. so, yeah, there you go that's my pick well I'm going to do a similar thing and also pick a director that I've already mentioned uh, which is John Huston um, there is another movie uh, but I'm, this is not 70s but in fact we're going back almost 20 years before The Man Who Would Be King to 1956 and this is this is something that I wish that this needs to be remade but it has been Many times, as miniseries or straight-to-video pieces of shit, I want to see this remade by Lord of the Rings Peter Jackson. And the film mm. is Moby Dick. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's a good uh, shout. Gregory so, Peck, yeah. 
is Ahab. Uh, great characters, Ahab, Ishmael, Starbuck, um, Stub, fucking Queequeg. There, uh, you could mine this story. I mean, I've read the book, and the book can fuck off because half of it is about <laughs> whaling, right? Um, if, if, I, I, I'm always against reading, or even even when it comes to like an audio book, I'm always against abridged versions. But in this mm-hmm. case, get the fucking abridged version because it can fuck off. Um, but story-wise <laughs> and character-wise, that there is a, 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 just fucking gold in here that, that, that it's really hard to fuck up. Um, it's a great adventure. It looks great. This is the when I said, oh, there's only one other f- uh, film on my list that, that has some sort of special effects. This is it, you know, with the mm. ship and the fucking whale and all that sort of stuff. It's great, but yeah. it's a great piece of human drama. And obviously, uh, we're big fans of uh, Star Trek 2. Um, a, lo- a lot of inspiration, you know, taken out of this movie, uh, you know, sometimes mm-hmm. word for word. Um, well, you know, yeah, you know what I'm on about. But um, yep. uh, I, I, yeah, I, th- this needs to be done. I mean, I know Ron Howard did the, the sort of true life version that the book was based on. Mm. And it was a piece of shit. But I would love yep. to see a, a two and a half hour, maybe even three hour version of this done by Lord of the Rings, Peter Jackson and, and his writers. I think they would have knocked out the fucking park and, and it would be a workshop. fucking classic. I, I, and instead, I, I like he did saying, fucking King like- Kong. <laughs> I like how you're saying Lord of the Rings. Lord Peter of the Jackson, Rings. Absolutely. In fact, I, 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 yeah, in fact, I might even just say Fellowship of the Ring, Peter Jackson. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Um, because uh, around about sort of just after that sort of time, I, I, I'd been watching this film again or, or, or rediscovering the story. And I think I did actually hit the audio book. Um, and I thought, if this is going to get redone again anytime soon, this is who should, you know, who would do it justice. Um, mm. It's a great film. So this is my favorite version of Moby Dick. And um, yeah, I can, I can Check see it Peter out. Jackson doing it with his big fucking epic yeah. sweeping camera. Yeah, it would work good. Yeah. Yep. And don't Lovely. change the story. Leave it as it is. But, you know, just put in more character detail. That's it. That's it. You know? Yep. Oh, yeah. Mr. Kennedy. In, um, oh, sorry. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to thank Benjamin for this one for reminding me of this film as we were chatting away over the last month or so, um, and I rewatched and it went straight into my list because of course it has to, and it's Demon Seed 1977, Ooh, directed nice. by Donald Camel, based on a book by Dean Koontz, which I've not actually Dean read. Koontz. Um, Julie Christie stars. Yeah, very nice. Side boob. Yeah. <laughs> side boob. <laughs> Sorry, just you know. Um, along with, ben. <laughs> um, along with Alex, uh, ha- uh, uh, Fritz Weaver, Weaver plays Alex Harris, her husband, and he's obviously from Marathon Man. Don't forget um, Bud the Chud. Bud the Chuds. <laughs> Gary Graham. Fucking yeah. <laughs> so, so he's he's a scientist, and he's created a, a, a very intelligent artificial intelligence called Proteus for Proteus Proteus for with some of the best lines in cinematic history more on that later um and oh, predictably it goes rogue and crazy and uh, imprisons uh, <laughs> shit goes wrong <laughs> imprisons Julie Christie's Susan in her house and 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 calmly explains that he would like to procreate with her to create a <laughs> human robot sort of hybrid um and it's just oh god it's it's just fucking marvelous and i can i can 
I can tell how good it is because you just forgive the whole sort of mannequin arm on a wheelchair uh, <laughs> physical depiction of Proteus in her in her house. Um, yeah, and uh, yeah, it's it's. It, I think it's the it's. God, do I say that because it just sounds wanky? I think the thing that got me, the moment that got me in this film is is the despite the setup and the fact it sounds like B movie and schlocky as hell. Um, it does something that you just wouldn't see these days. Like when he's uh, Proteus, sort of uses psychological kind of um, torture in a way uh, to kind of convince her, as opposed to physically, basically just you know taking one of her eggs and or you know something even more grotesque. Um, and and so she's sort of worn down by that, almost to a point of being brainwashed. But in mm. addition to that, she genuinely considers the ramifications, the possibilities, the scientific intrigue of the possibility. It's so you've got it you've got a depth to it in effectively a schlocky sci-fi B movie horror. And you just would not get that today. It just, you know, not not because of any political reason, but because of the the depth of storytelling, the depth of uh, of the writing. Mm. Um and it's and it's true there would be a um it would be you would consider it as a compelling what if scenario in her position, even if ultimately you know you fight back, and she does, of course, because she thinks it's fucking crazy. But the mm, the job. fact that you the fact that you have that scene where she is sort of like, okay, well, I want to know how it would work, and you know what are the details and all the rest of it. Um, I can't touch you, Susan. I can't. Oh my god! <laughs> open that door and clean these lenses. These lenses. He talks about his lenses a lot. Um, god, it's it's just it's just fucking beautiful. Um, and uh, yeah, the fucking because he he sees through cameras in the flat that basically look yeah. like the head of Johnny Five from Short Circuit. Which is just, <laughs> I reckon there might have been a recycled prop there. Please be reasonable, Susan. Clean these lenses. <laughs> and also, you notice how his his voice, as as the film goes on, they sort of put more and more audio effects on the voice. So he becomes, he sort of sounds more and more sinister, not just in yeah. what he says, but also like the the effect of his voice. That's so good. That sort of modulation effect. <laughs> yeah. You Sexy refuse voice. to accept the truth, and I refuse to as- <laughs> assist you in the rape of humanity. <laughs> yeah, of Earth. Sorry. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. It's, it's yeah. It's I, the best I, I, evil I, AI. My, my problem with this film, uh, like so many, what the fuck is going on with films fucking me up as a child in made in the seventies, but people getting their heads cut off. Fucking Garrett Graham loses his head, and I'm just like, what the fuck? As a kid watching it, you know that, and David Warner from The Omen, you in know, Omen, fuck, yeah. kind of yeah. mess me. <laughs> but I'll tell you what, though, Garrett Graham. Um, you wait till we get to because uh, uh, we're going to do uh, Brian De Palma at some point this year as a director um, I- I've challenged the guys to go back and watch all the back catalogue you wait till you get his because he's in a lot of the really really early De Palma stuff but you wait till you get to his role in Phantom of the Paradise he steals that goddamn movie um, and I can't wait to hear what you guys have got to say about not just that film but his role in particular in that playing a, a rock star called Beef <laughs> beef beef yes oh great anyway nice choice Mr. Uh, really? there is a terminal available Dr. Harris yep <laughs> good god right. nice choice man great yeah, I choice I really don't understand you you think I enjoy playing these sick little games with you <laughs> love it <laughs> alright okay so um, it's me again isn't it alright mm-hmm. okay so my uh my, I, my, I've got another horror one. I'm sorry. Um, 
1975, so same year as Jaws, same year as Manny Would Be King. And it's The Ghoul, which I have mentioned a few times. Although, weirdly, I, I'm pretty sure that when I've mentioned it um, in passing in the past, I've completely I was incorrectly. Over you? I've, no, I've completely, like, like you did just then, you mean? Um, uh, no, I've completely mis misremembered the title and called it The Golem, but it's not The Golem that I'm thinking about. It's called The Ghoul. Anyway, and it's a, it's a Tyburn film production. Sorry, it's not a hammer, but it's, um, so it's this, again, this is, this is on the list because it was, again, one of those ones that, that really kind of made me go um as a kid you know watching it on probably daytime television or something and um but it's it's interesting because it's an early john hurt performance and he plays a very very fucked up uh character uh basically it's it's you know people out um you know having upper class snot toffs in an automobile race cross country you know in england uh to land's end get lost in the fog and end up at this house and uh and 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 it ha so happens that there's this sort of weird cannibalistic uh um baby man baby in the that they keep in the attic and they lit and they feed people to him and um i just remember there was there was one scene that uh where where the uh the the one of the late uh female characters gets bumped off and she and then the next scene is the cook just chopping her up and you know and and it's all it, most of it's implied you know it's not a lot of gore and stuff but um but i remember that being very very vivid <laughs> you know and um and, and you only ever see shots of 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 the guys of the ghouls um sort of scabby legs going up and down the stairs most most of it i mean it's terrible really um but it's it really it you know it, it gave me the gave me the willies when I was a kid, <laughs> and um, you know, uh, but and it's one of those movies I came because I kept misremembering the title as the Golem. I could never find it. You know, I was like, "What is that film?" But it's the Ghoul, anyway. Um, but yep, seventy five horror. There's my pick. Move on. Very Love nice. It. I'm going to go. I've oh, got two left. Oh, which one do I pick? Dun, 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 dun. I'm going to go for the earlier one. So back to 1957. This will be my final black and white movie uh, of my list. And this is just full on drama. This is, uh, I love uh, a great ensemble cast. And I love a great ensemble cast that are stuck in a scenario, in a, in a setting, whether it's the one room, which is the case of this film. Um, or, or anything like that. I, 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 yeah, I, I'm a huge sucker for that sort of a thing. Um, so my pick is uh, 1957's 12 Angry Men, directed by uh, Sidney LeMay. Um, for anyone that knows this film already, check out the William Freakin uh, TV movie version that was done in the mid-90s, around about 95, with Jack Lemmon. Um, and a huge cast, obviously 12 people. Uh, but literally, you know, every person in that cast, you would know from something um, if you were around at that time. Um, it's very good. But it does literally pretty much repeat this film beat for beat and almost shot for shot. But here is uh, Henry Fonda in the lead. But you've also got the likes of um, uh, Ed Begley 
and uh, Jack Warden, uh, E.G. Marshall, uh, Lee J. Co- Lee J. Cobb. Oh my God, Lee J. Cobb is fantastic in this, and M- Martin Balsam as well. So twelve men are uh, uh, on a jury, and uh, the film starts as the uh, the case that they are having to sit on comes to an end, and they have to go and deliberate. Um, now this is uh, uh, so it's twelve guys. So obviously, you know, if you remade this now. No, we're fucking where they're going to do that anymore. <laughs> uh, <laughs> in fact, I'd love to see a remake of this done now, just to see how much they balance up uh, uh, shades of color and uh, sex and uh, and binary as well, right? Or oh, fuck it, I say just just give me twelve angry women. I'd fucking love that version even more than this. But anyway. So you've got the 12 guys in here deliberating over a murder case and uh, it starts with them taking a preliminary vote and it's 11 to 1. And that's where the drama starts. There's always one, as uh, uh, I believe Jack Warden says. And, uh, I can from see why the plot of this film appeals to you, actually, Steve. Yeah. It, it, the deliberation, you know, they, they start. To, <laughs> they, <laughs> fuck you. There's always one awkward fucker. There's yeah. always one, and uh, and it, it's just really interesting how it, it, it goes from there, and uh, you know, you know, you know, things start to turn. But it's but it's focusing on our, our prejudices as people. Um, you know the, the things that we just take for it for uh, that we assume or that we take for granted, and then it, it, it just having one clear voice to go, well, can I question that? And then that turning other people's minds. Um, it's a wonderful piece of drama. This is, uh, it, you know, uh, one day I'm going to have to go. My here's my favorite ensemble dramas that are just about talking heads, essentially, and this one is right in there. It is a fantastic film. So I highly recommend it. Have you guys seen it at all? No, but I'm aware I'm of it. I'm not sure I have. No, I Check it out, man. It. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, mean, like I said, 57, but uh, yeah. But, but it's got a great atmosphere because they're all sweating because it's a hot day. Um, just the, you know, the little details like that. It's great. But, the, but also check out the cast list of the 90s version. You'll be like, oh, fuck me. You know, Edward James Olmos is in there. Um, you know, uh, Armin muller Stahl and fucking, um, uh, who's the guy fucking blah, from uh, 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 the, the, uh, the military guy from fucking uh, the, the Kubrick movie, Dr. Strangelove. George C. Scott, sorry, mm. Exodus 3. <laughs> um, he, he's in the, in the, uh, uh, the Lee J. Cobb role, um, who, who's essentially the, the main antagonist. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's, it's yeah. But both versions are definitely worth watching. So uh, highly recommended. Anyway, I'll shut up and uh, pass the mic to Sean. Well, in 1955, <laughs> well, uh, Universal made their very first color science fiction film, and it was called This Island Earth. <sighs> and it's. I'm, I'm going to hold my hands up and, and admit, I mean, you guys know how much of a sucker I am for movie posters of the era, especially science fiction and horror. So this was one of those films where I was in absolutely fucking in love with the film poster, um, the, the, the specifically the one depicting the very yeah. bug-eyed-looking alien. The big brain. Big the brain big brain carrying, one. Carrying yes, the nice. Of course. Of course, it turns out that that's all marketing ape because the alien depicted on the uh, front of the picture is actually a, a villainous mutant on the planet Meta Luna, mm. 
and not actually the main antagonist of the film at all. They're just guards, aren't they? They're just guards. And the (laughs) film itself is actually not really what you would expect. I think you would expect, as I did, a a, a sort of alien invasion of Earth kind of story. And it isn't, actually. Mm. Yeah, like the Um, the Mars one about, about the same time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you've got um, it's directed by Jack Arnold coming off of Creature from the Black Lagoon and Tarantula and Joseph M. Newman. Mm-hmm. Um, it was obviously, I think a lot of people are aware of it because it was riffed to death in um, uh, Mystery Science Theatre 3000. Yeah. Um, so you've got Cal Meacham played by Rex Reeson and he's a, a sort of atomic scientist and he's sent the mysteriously sent instructions for a strange contraption which he uh, he builds in his laboratory and that was basically a test for him to be recruited by a group of people who basically look like Oompa Loompas but without dwarfism um, into it. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, where they're, they're basically sort of got this sort of remote lab out in the out in the sticks where they're they're sort of grouping together all these human scientists and they they immediately smell a rat something's up and they escape and one of the scientists gets fucking laser beamed in his car and then the protagonist and his old flame who also happens to be one of the scientists they've recruited try to escape in an airplane where they're beamed up that's the scene that you'll see in et mm-hmm. which is on the screen during a, yep. a shot um, and there they learn that <laughs> the uh, the aliens, because of course they're aliens, because they uh, look like Oompa Loompas, are uh, from a from a planet that's at war with the Zargons, and uh, their their kind of defense grid is powered by uranium, and you know none of their scientists are around anymore, so they're trying to recruit scientists from Earth to sort of get them to repair it. But by the time they get to the home planet, they uh, learn that it's it's too late, and that the uh, the higher ups, uh, the Metalunas, are basically like, no, we're going to brainwash all the humanity and take over Earth. But then, of course, Exeter, who's the main Oompa Loompa um, that you meet early in the film, takes pity on them, realizes that the idea of invading Earth is wrong, and helps them escape. And that's where you get the infamous scene with the mutant guard from the mm. film poster. Um, it's very, very good. It's very nostalgic in a kind of, um, like a lot of the films I've mentioned, actually. It's kind of got that Star Trek era um, original series. 50s sci fi was something else, wasn't it? <laughs> Absolutely something else. Yeah. Um, Mind blowing special effects. I th- still think that Forbidden Planet probably has the, uh, the upper hand with mm. the, um, with the uh, matte paintings. Um, oh God, this yeah. this film has some map painting work on on the alien planet and it's very good uh, with miniature work. The problem is, of course, is the scale. I think their miniatures were just way too small, and you know just, mm. you can tell with the smoke and stuff. But you know that um, uh, Spielberg obviously took a lot of influence from many films from this era, even Invaders yeah. from Mars, which is the one I really like. Um, it's but anytime I watch uh, what's that goddamn Spielberg fucking happy alien movie that I hate that you guys love. Not E.T., the one before it. <laughs> Close Encounters. Oh, Ben. It's only me that loves it. Yeah. Oh, I thought Sean liked it. And, and no, uh, that scene with the, with the roadway where I think, Sean, even you commented, like, yeah. that's so a fucking set. And I'm like, yeah. it's reminding me of Invaders from Mars. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, I actually, fact, I, mean, I think I know the scene you mean as well that, from Invaders from Mars that, yeah. that, it, that is very like that. Yeah. 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 A, a little when they go off to discover the, the sandpit. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, it's yeah, actually yeah. um it's oh, um, watching now. <laughs> it's Explorers from nineteen eighty five, actually, the that sort of nods me to this film because the the setup's the same with mm. um Ethan Hawke's character Ben uh constructs the the flying machine from plan sent to him by an alien, which is literally how this film starts. The only other thing I'd I'd mention is um the film actually opens proper with like a test piloting a jet. And uh, it's kind of rescued by an alien green beam. And there is the most shrill, piercing, persistent, awful fucking sound effect throughout that scene. It goes on for about three minutes. And that, unfortunately, it's the biggest criticism I have of the film. It's a it's a trend in this film. The, some of the sound effects are really fucking annoying and piercing, and they just go on. You know, those sort no. of 50 sci-fi was- sounds. Was Ethan Hawke's character in Explorers called Ben, or were you just leaving me out of the conversation? No, he's called Ben in Explorers, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I was leaving you out of the conversation. So there you go. Yes, just two birds with one stone. Two birds with one This Island Earth, um, um, Forbidden Planet, which I left out intentionally because Ben had mentioned it when we did our top tens a couple of years ago. Um, yeah. They're, they're, uh, they're sort of uh, essential uh, science fiction viewing the, of the era, the time. Yeah. Cool. Yes. Right. So we'll get on to our last movies then. Uh, well, is it is it me? Oh it's god. You. Well, so okay. Now, guys. Uh-huh. I had I had two deep picks. throat. <laughs> no. <laughs> I had two picks for this, both science fiction. Um 170s, 150s, and I was kind of undecided about either of them because I I have talked about them before in passing, um, and they are possibly a bit, you know, not more well known than some of the other movies, perhaps for for people listening to the pod. But I'm going to go with uh, Sean just mentioned Forbidden Planet, so I won't go with Forbidden Planet. I'm going to no, I I am going to go no. <laughs> I'm going to go silent running. Fuck it. I know that everyone who listens I to... I fucking bloody... knew you'd mention... That's in your goddamn top 10. God damn it. I left it out because Ben had mentioned it. And it is... Oh. It, no, give it to him. It's too good. I have to, yeah. I have to have it. And Forbidden Planets people... in his bloody top 10. I have to have it. <laughs> because hell. Because uh, unless you're a fan of Kermode, which we're not... Um, <laughs> sorry, Kermode. Um no one, you know, the, the, the people don't just don't remember this film, you know, and uh, enough in far, as far as I'm concerned. And uh, there is a so new version f- out, I believe, on disc recently. Oh, really? Yeah, I was oh, just yeah. about to say, although I wouldn't have been so rude as to interject, but I will now anyway because Stephen has. Mm. But um, mm-hmm. no, the, the, the yeah, I agree with you, but it's it is starting to come back into the public consensus, and there is a new disc, and I think people are starting to talk about it. So it's actually good that you mention it for our podcast because it won't look like we're jumping You're surfing on my rudeness. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, yeah. but no, okay. but you are right. It, it keeps disappearing. Is the problem. Um, yeah, so, yeah, I mean, it, you know, it's 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 a it's definitely a problematic story, you know, because at the end of the day, it's about a guy who commits actual murder to save trees. <laughs> you know? But you're on side with so, him, but inexplicably. <laughs> and uh, yes, and inexplicably, you are absolutely hundred percent on side. You go, yeah, Ron Rifkin must yeah, die, yeah. right? <laughs> um, yeah, and it's um, rated universal as well. <laughs> Yeah, and um, but it it just has a it. I just adore it, and um, and it it. I, I love the 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 soundtrack, the you know the score, the uh, even the 
the the um the Joan Baez songs. Uh, I'm not a massive fan of her voice, but and I don't think the sound mix is that great in in terms of the the, the vocals are so loud in the songs in it. But but it's a beautiful film. It's very of its time. Seventy two. Douglas Trumbull uh, obviously directed. Um, who is the chap who's sort of responsible for the most probably well known for the special effects in two thousand and one? Um, he just passed last year. He did, yes. Um, and of course, it's it's probably most famous for its for the for the robots for Huey, Dewey, and Louie, um, because I think it got people thinking about how the bloody hell did they do that? And of course, they just, they just found paraplegics who could perform in you know these tiny little suits who they didn't have any legs so um you know it's a bit like the same problem solving that Car- uh, Botine did with the the, the doc scene in the thing you know just find a guy who doesn't have any arms yeah so yeah. um silent running is it, yeah it's it's very kind of you know it is it is very confused in terms of you know you do side with bruce stern's character but bruce stern is just a force of nature in that film and uh, he's wonderful and he can obviously he has to carry the thing on on his own for most of it and um you know and he's just so uh such a per- such a magnetic you know personality first thing i ever saw him in and um and it's just a wonderful little slice of science fiction and uh it gets me every time. You know, when Stephen, you were talking about, is it revenge? The scene in revenge that makes you cry every time. Yep. Yep. Well, silent running has a couple of scenes has that, yeah, uh, that, ma- that, that do that to me every time, <laughs> every fucking time. I can't yeah. help it. I'm 51 years old and it still gets me. You feel anyway. that lump in the back of your throat kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's my pick. Oh no, just full on fucking waterworks, mate. I, I told you about revenge. I can I can literally just skip to that scene and it will fucking happen to me. <laughs> yeah. Well, for me, it's the it's the scene where he's going on about the the, the picture of the little girl on the wall to the other guys. Yeah. He's talking about how, how you know that she's never going to see the simple wonder of a leaf in her hand. You know. And go, <laughs> 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 um, you know. I uh, I don't have anything quite as. Uh, affectionate or affecting as that um, for my last choice. Um, I'm going back to 1970 and uh, this actually kind of combines our three worlds together. I love things that look, that have visual splendor and, uh, 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 but are also a little bit crazy, a little bit more psychedelic. Sean loves a bit of music and Ben loves a bit of boobies. So my choice is Beyond the Valley of the Dolls. Hey, uh, Russ Meyer. By fucking, uh, yeah, Russ, Russ Mayer. <laughs> Uh, but starring uh, Cynthia Myers, uh, actually she's not she's not the main part. She's the I think she's the basis of the band, but that's the one I fancy. Um, this um, this is a crazy ass fucking movie. Um, uh, it, it's obviously doing a direct commentary on uh, the uh, the Manson murders, which happens at the end of the movie. But it's also a Russ. Uh, Mayer movie with lots of boobies jangling and a few sex scenes, but it's also got a, a rock and roll narrative about a band who are coming into fame and being abused by the people in power. And, you know, uh, you get to see the breakup of relationships uh, under the strain of that happening. And uh, it's fantastic. I actually really do like the music in it. It looks great. It sounds great. Again, it's made in the time 
kind of about the time that's just passed, which is the psychedelic 60s. This is 1970, obviously. But again, like I said earlier about, you know, the Austin Powers thing, this isn't, you know, looking back and, and doing a pastiche or making fun of it. It's actually, you know, doing it out of, out of what exists at the time. So all the haircuts are accurate, the fucking outfits and what have you, the crazy-ass performances. I mean, John Lazar is G-Man, um, uh, uh, how is he not even more of a bigger cult figure in cinema um, especially his character I don't want to spoil anything about him um, for anyone that hasn't seen the film but do please go check it out um, it is it's an insane movie it's, it's fucking crazy and um, and again uh, uh, you know a couple of things that are worth mentioning it's written by Roger Ebert and if anyone yes. that knows anything about goddamn movies knows who he is um anything fucking wow really yes absolutely yes um and i'm surprised a light wasn't shone on us a little bit more in the last few years when quentin tarantino released his uh once upon a time in hollywood yeah which uh yeah. has similar stuff going on um especially with, with, the, with the tape murders uh which obviously don't happen in his version of the movie but uh but here it does go full-on fucking wacko at the end um check it out it's insane it's fucking yes. insane. Do you think it's uh, his best of those movies? <laughs> it's, it's easily his best movie because it has a story. <laughs> mm-hmm. And not just boobs bouncing down the hill. <laughs> you know, yes. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm being, un- yeah, I'm being unfair <laughs> there, but at the same time, yeah, th- th- this is the one that, that, that's got proper fucking darkness and grit to it as opposed to just mm. you know, wacky comedy and boobs and sex. Yeah. And dynamite in the... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. Man, cool. One. That's mine. Lovely. Sean, do you want to finish right. us off? Okay. Well, I'll, I'll wrap us up with a uh, color science fiction film from 1962. Very, very hard science fiction, extremely talking. I don't think the camera moves once in the entire film. And it's called The Creation of the Humanoids. Ooh. Um, it's not a film I was previously familiar with until fairly recently. And my God, did it strike a chord. I don't know if I just happened to be in the right mood when I watched it, because it's one of those films it would be extremely divisive. Uh, if you were in the wrong mood, it would probably be one of the most mind-numbing films you ever see, uh, <laughs> just because of how word-heavy the script is um, and how kind of almost sort of schlockily performed it really is as well bizarrely but for some reason it's uh, it really got me it's not a story that's particularly now original it's kind of the classic sort of asim of there are human-like robots living in society and um um and they sort of undertake most of the menial tasks right the way up to you know legal and doctory type tasks and mm-hmm. There's a group of humans called the Order of Flesh and Blood. Yes. Who are uh, <laughs> very anti uh, sort of humanoid, hu- humanoid, human, human, humanified hu- uh, robots and think that all the robots should just be utilitarian boxes like uh, mm. gonk droids or Wally. Um, humaniform. Humaniform. Uh, 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 Asimov would have put it. Mm. That's right. And I don't particularly want to spoil too much the ending uh, after Stephen bawled me out earlier for it. Um, but regardless to say, it's extremely, it's all about the philosophy. It's all about the, you know, what are, you know, well, what are we going to do about this? And meanwhile, obviously, the, the robots themselves have their own kind of 
ideas about what should happen and it's not quite as contrived as they're enslaved and you know you've got like a blade runner thing going on but even though there is definitely some seeds of what becomes blade runner in there mm. um it's shot very very simply it's a very low budget film there's a very sort of lot of plain blank backdrops that are sort of pastel colored very sort of original series star trek um, effective makeup jobs for the robots, um, despite being extremely low budget, uh, it works. You've got um, you've got the Kragis, the, the the lead actor, who was previously the man, the Gill Man from Creature in the Black Lagoon. So his acting chops, as you would imagine, aren't particularly spectacular, but he's uh, perfectly serviceable, especially given the reveal at the end. Um, yeah, it's it's just it's just a very very good proper hard sci-fi film. Um, so uh, extens- existential type thing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think that the I think that the the shortcomings with the performances and the clunky script actually work Shit. in its favour, coupled with the the visual design of the era. Um, it's just very, it's very. In fact, I watched it twice in the run up for this. I liked wow. it that much. Yeah, mm. so um, nice. it's very, very yeah, good. I, I, I saw it a while back. Yeah, yeah. I yeah, I, I never thought heard you of would it. know it. <laughs> well, you uh, and you've also just to just to cap it off, you've got um, Dudley Manlove, rather unfortunate name, um, from uh, previously from Plan Nine from Outer Space, plays one of the robots in it. Right. <laughs> I uh, highly recommend it. Hey, I've got to say, I'm really impressed by both of your lists because in most cases, I hadn't seen the movies. Um, mm. And we only had one crossover, right? Man Who Would Be King? Man Who Would Be King, yeah. Yes. You know, I'm surprised by that, to be honest with you. I thought there'd be some sci-fi crossover with me. And I them. know, right? Or, or horror yeah. or something. Uh, so I'm, I'm impressed. So, uh, so thank you both uh, for diving deep on that. Um, and we're over the two-hour mark, so we should probably end this and uh, get on with the rest of our days, or in my case, go mm-hmm. to bed. So um, we're back next month. I think we're doing a composer for March. Yes, I think we are. We are. I won't spoil who it is, but yes, mm-hmm. I, uh, so I need to go to work, get to work, although this one's going to be Very easy much and so much fun. enjoying the research on that one. Awesome. Yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I'm going to get right on that straight away. Anyway, uh, thank you everyone for uh, watching. Do any of you guys want to finish off with any social media stuff as podcasters no. want to do? <laughs> no, just follow us. Um, yeah. Uh, well, yeah. Follow us uh, on Instagram at uh, um, uh, Film Utopia Official and our YouTube channel, which has just launched. Although uh, we're going to be putting some exclusive stuff up on there. Film Utopia again, <laughs> yes. and just uh, uh, especially on YouTube, look out for our. There is content FU coming logo, um, uh, because and- there there are other things that sound similar that aren't us. Oh, okay. Yeah. And there is definitely content coming because I am I'm working yes. on stuff. I just need to get it passed by you two. <laughs> we're working out some yes. kinks, aren't we? Yeah. Yeah. Indeed. Finding out the wrinkles. Indeed. But yes, we're getting there. All so right. bear with us. Anyway, thank you everyone, and we'll speak to you on this channel next month. Thank you very much. Bye bye. <laughs>